Just, sorry, start the bit again. <laughs> Wine. <laughs> Two seconds, let me just clap. So Gordon found a fucking lentil or something in his bed. A fucking lentil? Is that a lentil? <laughs> what a single lentil? <laughs> I am tweeting that from the podcast account with no context. <laughs> Fuck a lentil? You making soup? <laughs> I mean, you know me, I'm always making uh, pots of soup in my sleep. Okay. <laughs> Is that a lentil? <laughs> Well, we may not have been landing in the audience, but we're here to talk jibberfish, aren't we, Dom? Uh, yeah, we're here to talk jibberfish on this. We're recording on the 4th of July, so happy 4th of July to all you Americans that listen to the podcast. Or as we call it here in the UK, happy Good Riddance Day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying some Buffalo Trace to celebrate the occasion, uh, American finest bourbon. Uh, and I, uh, the, the, the Bin Laden joke was uh, a reference to the fact that, you know, we're now at day like a hundred of quarantine here in the UK, and it's getting a little bit weird. Um, I think we've talked about this before, but like the live events are really struggling. Like you've got live football is coming back with uh, yeah. closed doors, so they're trying to keep the atmosphere there because you know it's a live event. Like it needs a certain uh, ambience, and they're pumping in generic crowd noise from like FIFA games into uh, football stadiums. Uh, but they also did a weird thing where. They started basically letting you buy a, what's called a crowdie, which is a stand-in that goes in place. So you submit a photo, they print it out and stick it on like a cardboard cutout, and that becomes something in the stands. Some fucking hero put Bin Laden's face in the Leeds audience. What's the cheese? Did no one stop to think, let's check this? Did no one stop? Let's, let's I double want- check. I wonder if someone checked it and said, you know what, it's kind of funny. Let's just let it slide through. Like, it's just two of the lads are on the late shift. They've got to get these all printed before 3 a.m. so they can get labelled up and put out in the stands. And they say, you know yeah. what, fuck it, not my problem. <laughs> it's, how funny would it be if it was just two interns that just got the job and they were just like, we, we, we don't want to be fired, we don't want to rock the boat, we're just going to get the job done. Dude, we got a job in COVID. <laughs> Take the money and run. <laughs> And uh, I, I, I think I retweeted it saying I can't wait to play Spot the Hitler for the next few games. <laughs> Cut to Murrayfield Stadium and there's Mussolini's and shit everywhere. Because that's the thing is like everyone knows the big guys, but who really knows what Goebbels looks like? Who you know who really knows the, the like the C tier Nazis or like the the real Ugandan like warlords, the guys that weren't quite president, but the guys who didn't quite make it all the way, but still did horrific shit. I reckon you can slide a few of those in there and no one notice. Yeah, you probably got away with it. You crackled there and just disappeared. I mean, if you're putting, you know, pictures of gerbils and stuff in there, run it, like, get some Paul Pot in there. Pretty sure no one knows what that guy looks like. 
Oh yeah, we, there's an entire continent of dictators that no one ever noticed. Uh, yes. <laughs> so I mean, like, how are you doing now? We're now 100 days into quarantine, that was like last week. Um, how are you getting on, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay, man. Uh, I Luckily for me, I went through a, a phase of when I, whenever I finished uni, because I'd been in uni for fucking eight hours, I'd get in there about seven o'clock in the morning and I would leave at say five o'clock at night or something and but when i was on my way home i would always stop by fop and i would buy some blu-rays and stuff Mm -hmm. just stuff that i had on dvd that i wanted to watch again in better quality so i went i have accrued a stack of blu-rays that i've just had to watch through so i'm currently watching uh killed by bebop on blurry oh very always a good always good to go back and revisit that yeah i just no offense, but I hate answering this question. I fucking hate answering this question because I feel like I've answered it to that, so many people. That's over one thing. The I past think couple of weeks. That's one thing that about the the Scottish temperament we have to our advantage. We will look at a really shitty situation and just say, shrug our shoulders and say, "It is what it is." Let's just get, get on, on with it, you know. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I uh, I'm really starting to appreciate the fact that I still have an act like a job I need to go to every day. Yeah, like I leave the house and. I, I you know, talking to relatives and stuff because we're starting to open up a little bit, so I get to go and talk to parents like face to face. Like you can always text and talk, uh, call each other, and mm. you can say, "Oh, it's fine," or "Oh, it's bad," and you you get some sense of how they're doing, but it's not the same as seeing them sitting across the across the like table or across like the garden from you. Oh yeah, and you realize my parents and that are so bored. Like my my dad is working uh, a couple days a week. Um, just because of his job, but beyond that, no other relatives of mine are working that I know of, uh, except for a few who are working from home, and most of them are prepping for like next the next job when they go back, um, mm. if they're doing anything at all, and it's just you can see a genuine legitimate boredom building up in them, and it's it's quite a shame, but I'm say I'm really uh, kind of glad that I have a job that needs me to go to a building every day. I get to leave yeah. the house. Yeah. And, yeah. It's... See, I feel like I've been quite lucky because I've not been bored during a lockdown. I've always had shit to do. I apologise. I keep fucking yawning through this. <laughs> my, my my day got pretty exhausting because, you know, usual shit, wake up, take the dogs out. Uh, but then, because you're allowed to mingle with other households, and then my niece dropped by, and she was happy, you know, because she not had a hug from Uncle Dom and fucking ages. So, mm-hmm. you know, I spent most of today with a child backpack who just wouldn't leave me alone. <laughs> She's, you know, let's do this, let's play fucking Mario Kart and stuff. So I just had between the hours of one and five, just pretty exhausting day. Yeah, you you picked up a part time job there. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the thing is, um, like you've lost the stamina for it as well because there gets to a point where like you have the stamina to deal with a child that just isn't there anymore and then all of a sudden it's like the kid shows back up and you're like oh how did i stand you for more than 20 minutes (laughs) i'm not training anymore because they're they're talking about you can train for rugby because i have the the return to rugby roadmap thing it got sent if you're registered with sru you get sent out to you and it's like we're in phase three or something just now, which is uh, no contact, no organized games, but it, you can get get together and train in groups as small as eight. So, yes. and that's a uh, touch rugby only, but it's not excessive touch rugby. It's literally just 
on the shoulders. Like Taps, you can't bear yeah. hug or tackle or anything like that. And my team's doing it in Edinburgh, so I'm not going to be able to train until training comes back officially, which is looking like August, September time. Right. Can you do so, no you training. My stamina and fitness levels have just dropped. <laughs> I have <laughs> no, almost no energy. I was going to say, could you actually forward that to me? I'd love to see what the, the, the return to rugby would look like, because I'm looking at all the uh, like government general uh, kind of information and data and stuff that comes out. It's it's interesting to see how there's a difference, and it's becoming more and more prominent in England and uh, the UK, or like England and uh, Scotland. And it's actually quite interesting that we're recording on 4th of July, because uh, about 14 hours ago, pubs opened up. And if you're wondering yeah. what time we're recording at, we're recording at 8 and that would mean that pubs opened at 6 in the morning, um, which everyone said, wait, why 6 in the morning? And that was entirely because uh, Boris Johnson didn't want midnight pub opening parties across England. I'm like, it's going to happen anyway. You just moved it to 6 in the morning. I don't think it's going to pan out the way you think it will, Boris. Yeah, people will just take the day off of work if What's they have to go to work. <laughs> pubs. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're staying... Uh, quite locked down up here in Scotland and again because it's just a case of get on with it uh, we're recording much lower rates but we have a much lower population so I'm not that surprised we're also like we're more naturally isolated than they are down in England there's much bigger cities down there um, and yeah Scotland is playing the role of the, the kind of older sibling who's just like guys calm down we're getting a little too excited here you know we're, we're going to bring this all back and we're going to end up with a second spike um, yeah just settle down settle down Simmer down and stop doing the fucking Sky Bridges plan. I don't know if you've seen this, but there's 60... I have not seen the Sky Bridges plan. What the fuck is that? There are 60 countries, uh, including Italy, Spain and Greece, a.k.a. the ones who got hit with COVID the most, uh, that you can fly to or from and you don't have to quarantine if you come back within England. Huh. Yeah, that's going to get real fucking risky real fast. Um, yeah, that's going to boost the infection rate. Yeah. And uh, all this while uh, we were having a discussion um, between England and Scotland as to whether or not Scotland could quarantine you for coming from England. So if you're an English person who decides to just drive up to Scotland, we may ask you to self-quarantine uh, as soon as you cross the Scottish border. Uh, to which the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, said, there is no border between England and Scotland. You just raised a lot of legal questions there, Mr Johnson. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you like the an you're gonna like the answers and you know there's a growing anti English sentiment, so you might not want to start that shit. I'd be worried if Boris Johnson could even spell the word legal. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> You'd see his like third attempt he'd be like, Oh my god, it's learning. <laughs> Why did they have a Q in there? There's no Q in the word legal. <laughs> it's actually a I silent Q. <laughs> Everything Boris Johnson says, I want there to be a fact checker behind them just going, we can't enforce that, we can't do that. <laughs> Give him a a blanket and a bottle of juice and go, okay, Tim, go nap. Go sleepy. Go sleepy, boys. Boris, or, it's time for your bottle. He winds down. <laughs> <laughs> like somebody just sucking his thumb and just goes, oh, rhubarb, the second wave. Mm, rhubarb, the second wave. <laughs> Well, we have a first T-shirt, Look at Boris Johnson and tell me that's not the kind of shit he says to himself to get himself to go to sleep. That motherfucker eats rhubarb pie without ice cream. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's. I mean, all I'll say is you're a monster if you eat rhubarb pie. 
Yeah. Um, I... Why would you rhubarb crumble when apple and cherry crumble is right there? <laughs> there are perfectly acceptable normal human meals right there, and you chose rhubarb. We we had rhubarb plants in the garden when I was young, and it's an acquired taste. Is all I'm gonna say. Even if you prepare rhubarb properly and sugar the hell out of it, it's an acquired taste. Yeah. Weird. So, I mean, the, we have a, a smorgasbord of random topics to talk about, and I don't think there's any neat segues to any of them. No, uh, there really isn't. They were quite disjointed this week, because there's... Obviously, there's some shit that we we have spoken about before that we still want to, you know, keep pushing out there and keep telling people that this is a good thing to do. Like, we want to tell you to stay safe, stay clean, wash your damn hands, wear a fucking mask, wear a fucking mask, wear a fucking mask... Uh, and we want to keep promoting the Black Lives Matter. So keep the petitions going. Keep the keep the word going. Just keep everything going. Don't be performative ally. Just be a fucking ally. Yeah. Uh, all that shit we want to keep going. But it, other news wise, it's vitriolic, nasty shit that's come out over the past couple of weeks. I mean, if we're all gonna go straight all to the, the core of games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say if we're gonna go to vitriolic, nasty shit. I mean, the gaming industry went out like. Not so much like the gaming industry itself has grown to a halt. Um, as of many productions, uh, I mean, they're they're still the back catalog of stuff that people were working on that's coming at a, a slower pace than we expected. Um, but the actual gaming entertainment industry uh, that has just gone to shit sideways. Uh, oh yeah. I guess it started about two weeks ago uh, when we got a. I mean, there was an initial wave of Me Too allegations. It was quite small um, initially in gaming. But uh, we have a new wave of allegations that came out just a few weeks ago. Uh, biggest person I'd say that was in there was uh, Pro Syndicate, um, who I actually I kind of liked as a content creator. He wasn't like not I wouldn't sit and watch hours of his stuff back to back. But if you ever happened to see a vlog and it seemed interesting, it was generally pretty good. Uh, some of his Call of Duty content's pretty good, and obviously he's a bit older now, so it's quite interesting to see somebody who was the hot shit that now just yeah. kind of living a life of luxury in a weird way that you know he's made his money from his his hype his celebrity and his fame and now just continues to be a celebrity in that sense but working away through the day-to-day like what does the daily life of a top tier youtube content creator become nowadays and uh he has allegations against him um about not using protection and uh, not using uh or not you know uh agreeing with certain things in you know sexual uh, scenarios with women just like not doing things he was supposed to do and then just straight up allegations of sexual assault really and it like stuff like that for him and several other content creators all coming out within the space of like a week was just a it was a i think that was actually almost close, like a week after we recorded the last episode i'm not sure uh, so i'm not familiar with the the syndicate uh, allegations i was uh, most of my allegation, or most of my information, comes out of uh, Evo and Mister Joey Seller Queller. Yeah, this is the uh, the Smash Bros guy, right? Uh, no, Joey. Uh, he goes by the name Mister Wiz, uh, but he was he's the CEO of Evo, and it came about that in 1992 he basically fed underage children, male children, alcohol, and the promise of tokens for arcade machines to perform some illicit acts Shit. and a lot of people quite rightly so uh, namely 
Yoshinori Ono from Capcom, who's the head of Street Fighter, and Masahiro, what's it, uh, Katsuhiro Harada from Tekken, and Ed Boon from NetherRealm said, we don't want to be associated with this guy. We're pulling our support from evil completely until we get rid of this guy. And even if you have got rid of this guy, we don't want to stick around to find out how far his influence grows. So we are we are done with evil for this year. Right, okay. And I think that's the I think that's the best way to to deal with it. Just say, well, if this is the kind of company that you're running, nah, we don't want to be a part of it. Yeah, and it's, I mean, those are allegations from what twenty eight years ago, but it's still. I mean, there's now a kid walking or a grown man walking around with some horrific memories of gaming in his head because of one sick fucking pervert. Yeah, yeah. I just, it's. I didn't know the evil allegations were that bad because you did text me say there's some bad shit coming about about evil, but yeah. that might be the worst ones I'd heard about anything. Um, and it's also led to evil online itself being cancelled completely because uh, the two main attractions to evil online was Mortal Kombat 11 and uh, Street Fighter, and without their support, they've just went nah, we we can't do it. They've, we've lost too much support. Mm. So I think it's going to lead to a complete staff change at EVO headquarters. And I don't really think EVO, as dwindling as it is, can survive a hit this bad. Yeah, I mean, they'll probably try and... I mean, if they've got any sense, the PR side of things will just uh, chalk up to COVID and saying that there wasn't enough engagement, but they'll not try and hide this, uh, the allegations and the, 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 the lack of support from the the gaming side of, like, the gaming producers inside of the, the community, and they'll just try and hide that away in the corner, but that, yeah, they, they, if it goes, and that's the reason it goes, I mean, that is a reason to destroy a legacy, really. Mm. Yeah. There was and something about, to uh, So many other people coming out and saying, well, thanks to this, I now can feel comfortable talking about my story, and I think that leads into what you read about the Smash Bros. community with more people coming out with their stories and that, so like, I haven't read into the Smash Bros stuff because I washed my hands of the Smash Bros larger community a while ago. Smaller communities, like there's, I know there's still some Smash Bros content that goes on in Scotland, there's some uh, ter- tournaments there. If I meet any of those people at a con, I'll happy, happy to chat with them, but the larger Smash community, I've largely washed my hands off. Yeah, the allegations there were like horrifically similar that someone was at a party with an underage girl and just kept feeding her drinks throughout the night and then uh, had sex with her even though she like she wasn't interested to begin with but then you get her drunk and oh, come on it's just a bit of fun and then you're all of a sudden a horrific fucking monster and that was not that long ago and that happened at a, I think it was like a post con party or something like that or was it a post tournament party at someone's house yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of names in the... Uh, n- names that I'm not that familiar with, but a lot of uh, gaming, uh, like, Smash Bros. fighting games, uh, like, big personalities are involved in that one. And uh, they've all had to kind of scramble to assert their involvement or what was actually going on for their perspective or whatever. And it's uh, it's kind of horrifying to see that, you know, this... I never really thought of gaming as being that safe a space for people to be involved in. You know, there's always going to be shitty people involved, no matter how much you screen people, you know, once you get to a certain size, a certain community, you know, capacity, you're going to find that there's some shitty people hiding in amongst the the vast majority of good people. 
I mean, the way I say it, people go to places like arcades, they go to fighting game tournaments because they think, oh, there's other people who are like me. There's there's this guy who, who likes Smash Bros. He's, he's, he's the same as me. So you go in there and you meet like-minded people and it kind of builds the safe space idea. So I know for a fact, even without the idea of like just saying safe space, it just builds a community. The idea that you can find yeah, a peer, yeah. find a friend uh, that you may not have known. I mean, I've I've done that with Warhammer Forty K. I did that with a tabletop uh, game that I just played. I just wanted to meet people who also enjoyed that game. Yeah, and you want to go into that place believing that everyone is a good person, and you maybe be a slightly less resistant because you're like, oh, they're just good guys. So you know what if maybe. Doing something that's a bit weird, it's not it's not a big deal. But how can you be that bad? They like what I like because yep. you have a shared common uh, interest. And it's it's scumbags like these Smash Bros players that are taking advantage of that, and it's it's fucking horrible. And it's it's the reason why I'm quite glad that I don't take part in any of that shit anymore. Because I used to actively, I kind of wanted to be in that that sorry FGC, but. That was never really sure how to get myself into that, and now that I know that's what it's like, I'm staying the fuck away from it. I don't care that these players aren't the FGC as a whole, but yeah, the fact that they're in the mix at all really makes you wonder. And uh, I, I was thinking about this because I was trying to think about. I, I saw responses to these type of events, these Me Too like allegations, the um, the comments about like racial inequality. Like if you look at anyone, that if you like someone that's a content creator with a big enough platform, find a statement they've made, something that might be politically charged or something like that, scroll down a little bit into the comments on any social media platform and you'll find that there is stuff that you vehemently disagree with. And uh, this actually came up with uh, a guy I'm a big fan of. He's a a YouTuber by the name of Super Eyepatch Wolf. I talk about his stuff quite a lot on here because he makes very good video essays on things that he likes and he shares them with a passion that I find infectious that I try to emulate when I'm talking about stuff on this podcast. And mm. I have been really impressed by him uh, like making more and more content, making uh, newer, better videos. And then with all that's been going on with the Black Lives Matter protests, he said, I'm going to set up a charity stream for the Trevor Foundation, which is an LGBT charity here in the UK. And the Black Lives Matter movement would just take all the donations, gather them together in a pot, split it 50-50, push them out to these charities, and then, you know, we'll, we as a community will do our part. What he uh, talked about recently on his podcast, uh, Let's Fight a Boss, was that, and he actually mentioned it in his, his newest video, which was uh, Things I Like Summer of 2020, was that he was amazed to find that there was a backlash to his support of what most people would consider decent charities. Now, there's some argument about like the, the some Black Lives Matter like sub-movements within that community and that there might be some issues there that people might not agree with politically, and that's fine. But the idea that you would completely give up on a, a charity that you know enhances the lives of black people because of some small disagreements you might have, the fact that that would come up, and especially with the Trevor Foundation, because it's LGBT youth, it is, you know, it's for kids who lose their their family because they come out as gay or trans or bisexual and the family wants nothing to do with them anymore like it's it's a support network for gay kids or like queer kids that you, you know you might find anywhere in the world that could be anyone you know it could be people you are very close to 
and any one of them might need the support of this charity. And the fact that he got pushback from within his community, and he suspects there's a bit of fuckery going on there, um, mm. and that there might have been, the, like, his link, his announcement video might have been put to some, like, alt-right subboards or something like that. It might have been uh, inflated. The response there might have been a bit inflated. He says that he uh, he finds it very frustrating because people are coming after him for his belief in certain charitable organisations. And then I was thinking about why people feel so betrayed when stuff comes up like this. And I think it's because we make such personal connections because these people, the YouTubers, the, the communities that we form have just a few things in common with us and we attach so much weight to that. So as you're saying... You don't want to be involved with a Smash Bros. community because of you know darker elements within it and also just not enjoying the community as a whole. But your initial attachment is because we share a game. We share a common interest, a common language of this game that we all play. And I think that's why when stuff like this comes up, it kind of hurts a little bit more than... I mean, I, my, my favourite example of this is Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. I can't name one person who hates Leonardo DiCaprio. We all love him because he's a talented actor, but at the same time, if you find out something horrible about him, it wouldn't feel the same as if your favourite YouTuber did some did the same horrible thing. Does that make sense? Because yeah, yeah, it does. I think it's just like you said when when people start watching YouTube, they they start getting quite personally attached because they talk about what you like and they talk about it in a way that connects with other people. So when you see something that's against what you think, it immediately strikes you as wrong. If you know what I mean. Yeah, when it feels like you've, I, I, my, my only, it's the, it's the wrong word almost. It's, not, it's too hyperbolic. But betrayal is the only way that you can really think of it. Yeah. Is that we had this shared thing, you and I, and now all of a sudden you believe in thing like we believe in thing x but all of a sudden you believe in thing y and y is in no way connected to x and mm-hmm. it blows some people's minds and it does it does alter people's perspective quite a bit yeah which is weird because so many and so many uh, youtubers and stuff that i follow i don't agree with them on absolutely everything i just think right they make good fighting game videos or they make good uh you know movie breakdown video or something but they also happen to be a massive gun nut i don't <laughs> i don't look it, at the whole gun part that's such a I weird do. thing for us here in the uk that we just don't get yeah i mean you know me i'm very anti-gun guns are the weapons of the enemy but they can be your weapon too for a small small price my friend <laughs> it's such I'm a fucked up argument <laughs> what'd you say sorry Guns are clumsy and stupid. I was trying to remember a Batman quote, but I can't remember off the top of my head. It's been a day, man. I'm ready for I'm ready for a cup of tea and I'll, I'll lie down. I'm not gonna lie. Guns guns are clumsy and stupid. That's why I stopped using them in the fifties. Batman. <laughs> you know, Batman never actually used the gun, even when people said he used the gun. I don't know. I've seen some comics from nineteen fifties where he's blasting off with akimbo pistols. It's from like way back. It's like the first five issues of Batman or something, and they're like, "Okay, this doesn't work. <laughs> this is this is bad. We feel bad." Batman is shooting people while talking about moral superiority. Hmm. It doesn't quite pan out. I'm not gonna not gonna try and argue with it because I wasn't alive 
70 fucking years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the scary thing. Like, yeah, it's, it's back in the 50s. Remember how that was 50 years ago? Because we're of that age where like, we are still mentally in the 2000s. And then all of a sudden you go, no, it's 2020 morons. And you're like, oh, yeah, that adds 20 years to everything. I may or may not be Googling Batman uses guns to just prove a point. <laughs> I mean, you probably did, but I, I remember actually looking into this and I couldn't find much to see that he used a gun, with the exception of his grapple gun. Yeah, he had a grappling gun that was uh, very handy. Um, it, especially, <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about Batman. Sorry, I, just, I, I have something else about Batman later on. I don't want to spoil it for later on. <laughs> All right. So yeah, uh, like, like we have the whole thing about uh, you know our, our Me Too movement is coming up, and then uh, we also within the same week uh, had Twitch's uh, Twitch obviously the streaming platform had a rival for a while called Mixer, which was backed by Microsoft. Everyone assumed that this would be the big challenger in the ring because Twitch is a monolith. The same way that if you want to talk about online video sharing and online video hosting, you talk about YouTube. There is no mm. real competitor to YouTube. I'm sure there's like something like Daily Motion. I think is still a thing. Uh, Vimeo. Vimeo. I, I can't see Vimeo or Daily Motion striking back at YouTube. Yeah, and most people who have a, a Vimeo have it as a YouTube backup. So in case their YouTube channel gets taken down by the copyright system, uh, that's the only one I really know of. Um, but then the Mixer was a possible contender to Twitch. It was a bit shaky. It didn't seem like a great start. Um, but they made a big play. They put in a lot of uh, big bids for like uh, content creators on Twitch. They got a few of them to switch over. Biggest one being uh, Ninja. And then you have Shroud coming over, so big FPS gamers. And then all of a sudden, uh, almost out of nowhere, Mixer disappears just like, a few weeks ago, leaving a lot of content creators with nowhere to go, which was kind of it was, it was a weird implosion to watch because it came out of nowhere and then there was no support uh there was just a message from mixer like a literal text message no uh like video of like a ceo addressing the community just saying hey mixer's going to shut down in a month um we're joining with facebook gaming which apparently was a thing and then we are going to, uh, like, if anyone who is a Mixer partner right now wants to move over, they'll automatically become a Facebook gaming partner. No one gives a shit about your weird platform. Um, so nobody, as far as I'm aware, nobody that I know of has jo jumped to join Facebook gaming. Um, because, I mean, it's a joke platform. I don't think I've ever seen or heard the phrase, come and watch my stream on Facebook gaming. I wasn't aware that Facebook... I'm not surprised that they do, but I wasn't aware in the slightest that they had a streaming service. But yeah, from what I've seen well, from uh, like tech channels, now it's we... the idea that Facebook wanted some of that streaming money. They saw that it was making a little bit of revenue for Amazon, uh, and they just wanted a slice of the pie and tried to make a, a streaming platform. It makes enough money to be viable, and then they've kept it. I mean, that going to Facebook gaming would be an option if we didn't live in a world where Ninja and Shroud despite what I think of Ninja, because I think he's a fucking crybaby bitch. <laughs> uh, weak mind send that, you prick. Uh, <laughs> that was so fucking funny. Sorry, on you go. <laughs> uh, like, if we didn't live in a world where he could just walk up to Twitch and go, can I get my partner status back? And they'd probably go, yeah, sure, go for it. Because Ninja makes money. Yeah. Ninja fucking makes money. The Twitch, only, Twitch yeah. probably take back in a second. The, the biggest... Um... I watch a lot of a guy called Harris Heller, who is a 
shaman of uh, video gaming live streaming and he makes good tech videos and good breakdowns on products to buy and how to set up streams. He has a thing called Alpha Gaming, which is a very good YouTube channel. It's a very good uh, resource for anyone who wants to get interested in uh, Twitch streaming. I just like to learn the kind of mechanics behind what I see on screen because I love watching Twitch streams. I, I do some occasionally. I do some with Badger and pals, and we do have a good laugh on stream. But um, he was talking about the fact that... Colin has just announced that Jibberfish will be coming to Twitch. We, we are exclusively signing to Twitch and we will not be broadcasting on Mixer or any other of the in, imminently failing uh, live broadcasting platforms. We are exclusively going to be streaming on Twitch whenever we can be bothered live streaming this fucking nonsense. <laughs> we will be however, we will be on Twitch, but we will be sending an exclusivity deal with Vimeo with a sub subscription available through LimeWire. You have to get on board early to get that one. Can you imagine trying to turn this nonsense into a live stream, like a live professional broadcast, like me and you sitting there in suits behind, with a green screen in the background, and I was just trying to pretend like this is the serious news brought to you by two drunken idiots. <laughs> I just yawned through. And I'd rather use someone farted on a, a camera woman, and now she's suing for $30 billion. Oh, you guys see that Batman comic? Just <laughs> <laughs> Michael Keaton coming back as Batman. <laughs> I but like the the Twitch side of things like just every so often you a sort of part midway through the stream and just two of us looking at each other going was it me was it you and it was the dog or something. it was the dog there's no dog shit <laughs> <laughs> but he was talking about the fact that the only real competitor to Twitch is YouTube gaming and YouTube gaming is not really a thing it's just a thing that happens in the background of YouTube that no one really pays attention to. So, so YouTube, how much money is that making? I don't know. People right. choose main page YouTube. I, I pay for YouTube Premium. I am the one person in the UK who just refuses to use ad block. Um, although I was listening to YouTube Music, which I get as a, a benefit of YouTube Premium, and I got an advert last night, and I was like, that's not okay. I pay for Premium. I don't want adverts. I pay for Premium because I don't want adverts. So I'm very uh, curious to see if that's going to become a thing. Keep an eye out on that one, and I'll let you know. But I, uh, yeah, if that happens, I am leaping ship to Spotify so goddamn fast. See, now you have to pay double premium. Yeah, I have to pay mega premium. That's that's the technical term for it. But I mean, as Twitch, like in Detroit Smash, <laughs> I'm pretty dumb. You made a My Hero Academia reference. Very proud of you. Is that what that's from? Yeah, Detroit Smash is uh, My Hero Academia. I, uh, I understood that reference. <laughs> you did on the fourth of July when we celebrate America's ass. We have, uh, but like as we're talking about, like with all the whole uh, like Twitch drama and stuff, as Twitch becomes once again the reigning undisputed champion of live broadcasting, uh, they let go of their biggest star, arguably, because um, the largest streamer right now is probably Doctor Disrespect, who has been banished from the platform, and there's no word as to why. Oh wait, no, uh, we know why, because some fuckhead on Twitter just said uh, he got kicked off so Ninja could come back, so uh, case case closed, right? <laughs> there it is, there's all the evidence. <laughs> I mean, he clearly has corroborated substantial evidence of his little dickhead friend four pages down with a half-naked chick as his banner photo and an anime profile picture going, yeah, I get it. Like, case closed, I can't fight that. That's what I heard. I can't, I can't fight it. <laughs> Did you hear it from was it the person who sent the tweet? <laughs> Maybe. You're proving that Joe Rogan made a joke and got it right. You don't need to be smart, you just need to be more confident than the other fucks and people think you're a genius. 
Do you know what you're doing? No. Do you know what you're doing? Yeah, I do. I fucking do. I got this. <laughs> Fuck, I, I hate Twitter. I hate Twitter so fucking much. I, I don't think of Rogan when I think of Twitter. I think of George Carlin. Think of the stupidest person you know. Or think of the most average person you know. And then realise half the people you know, or half the people in existence, are stupider than that. And I'm like, fuck, there's a lot of them. <laughs> They're fucking everywhere, man. <laughs> and a lot of them seem to congregate on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, we have a, a, a mysterious case of the disappearing uh, Dr. Disrespect, and he just disappears out of nowhere, and I, I, the only thing I've seen is that no one actually knows what's happening, and that's because neither side, the only two people who know are Dr. Disrespect and Twitch, and neither is making a statement, because the theory I've heard is that it's probably bad enough that making a statement by either side would open up a legal issue uh, for the other side, <laughs> if that makes sense. So if Twitch says it's because of blah, it might be defamatory to say that in the first place, which is interesting. And then if it's that bad, Dr. Disrespect would never admit to that in the past. And bearing in mind, uh, Dr. Disrespect is a man who admitted on a live stream anything that he, like, he normally has a character, he normally has a wig, he normally has a, a fake uh, army bulletproof vest on and some weird fucking mullet and a leather jacket and some aviator got, uh, glasses on, he took all of that off to admit to uh, having an affair on his wife, which I will say was one of the more harrowing videos I've ever seen a man make. Um, mm. But he, it was him saying, I have fucked up, I, have, I need to own this mistake and fight for my family, so I will not be around for a little while because I'm trying to solve my marriage. And you're like, oh, shit, that was... Uh, that was not what I expected to wake up to this morning. But uh, yeah, he was on stream when it happened. And I don't know if you've seen the clip, uh, but there is a, an eight minute video of him towards the end of his stream where people noticed that he was acting a bit weird and people suspect he was getting like a heads up. Like, you're going to wrap this up. Uh, you're going to be banned as soon as the stream ends. Uh, because, hmm. you know, he's a, he's a Twitch megastar so he probably has some exclusivity contract and some other terms of uh conditions wrapped in there and one of them might be that he would get to end a stream if he was ever being pulled speculatively of course it's a, a yeah. lot of might be's maybe's a lot of half truths and uh, missing information there which is the problem but some maybes but it was it was weird to see a, a titan of that platform disappear and it's been like a week now and no one has said shit which is very interesting yeah that's what i found weird because i can you'd, you'd think that because there's always going to be the orbiting the what i like to call the little dog you remember in the old tom and jerry cartoons would be the big dog uh yeah I'm sure dog the name. just kind of what we're going to do today and the big dog's just shut up <laughs> I'm copying Joe Rogan a lot this fucking podcast. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, but like the little dogs will just be going about going, why don't you tell whatever Dr. Disrespect's real name is? Like, let him know what's fucking happened. Let, let him know what why he's been banned, all that shit. I've not seen any of that. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe, like you said, he's put the word out just saying, look, I've been kicked off the platform. That's the end of it. He, he not think... needs to know. Yeah, I think he. There has been like a, a statement by someone. I think it's his wife who said, um, like he's okay. Like he's not. He's, he's obviously 
in a, a state right now. Like it's, it must mm. be hard to lose everything you've fought for and built for the last however many years. Like people think Doctor Disrespect is a random pop up character, but he was around for years before he got famous through uh, PUBG, um, mm. and that was a big like it was a big launching part of his career. It really helped push him a lot further than you'd think. Uh, like a, a weird uh, niche '80s action character playing video games could go, but that helped him really develop an online personality and really get further and further and further in his career than many people do, like to reach the top 0.01% of Twitch streamers. And I uh, I think having all that disappear would naturally take a toll on anyone. And right now, I think apparently he's okay, but again, like no one is willing to say what's ha- actually happening in the background. So yeah, the uh, the gaming industry or the gaming entertainment industry is kind of a mess, but you know there's still one thing worth talking about when it comes to gaming, and that is the games itself. Uh, Dom, you've been playing Last of Us, right? Yeah, and uh, Last of Us Two. Sure. Last of Us Two. I just said the Last of Us, and realized you clarify the Last of Us Two. It's not a big deal to play the Last of Us. Uh, Yeah, it's not that big a big a deal to play a game that's fuck. When Last of Us Part One come out? I want to say six years ago. Last was part one, though. No. That yeah. came out on the PlayStation 3. So I want to say that game is 12. Shit. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. No, it's, it's, I'd say it's 15 years old or something. I can remember that coming out in 2007. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Hold on, I shall give it a quick Google. If only we had the access to all the internet. <laughs> The Last of Us is a 2013 not, uh, action game, so yeah, actually seven years, so I wasn't that far off. I mean, the console generation that we're in right now hasn't been around for that long. Initial release date, 2013. That's, that doesn't seem right. Anyway, not important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, was the PlayStation 3 still a thing in 2013? Doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, point, so the important thing is that I'm writer than you are, okay? Let's <laughs> I mean, it's, just a, it's just a culture shock I thought it came out way before it fuck came... it doesn't matter no one gives a shit people have played Last of Us Part 1 if you haven't bleh <laughs> <laughs> if you if you have not played this video game bleh to you sir bleh <laughs> I say unto thee bleh <laughs> that'd be such a great Shakespearean line that no one else knew <laughs> well, <laughs> I say unto thee <laughs> it's just him raising the finger making the fart noise just, and I say unto thee sir <laughs> we're so mature so I fucking Last of Us Part 2 right? but it's a game that I wasn't really looking forward to playing but that's because on one of my uh, group chats that I'm on on Facebook I know two of the people who played it and when it comes to Playstation games I usually ask these two guys have you played it is it worth playing but at this point, I knew that there was some bad buzz going around The Last of Us because we've seen what happened with the leaks that I managed to avoid like a fucking master ninja. Yeah, they were pretty ubiquitous. Yeah, they were everywhere. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't catch any of that. They said they'd seen it and they said, I'm not interested in this game. Uh, and this is a, a direct quote from one of them saying, I'm not interested in the game that has to deal with that deals with rampant lesbianism <laughs> and transgender murder. And like, but about that, do we know that it's a transgender character? But anyway, there was all that kind of 
bad shit going around the game. So I was kind of hesitant to post on the group chat that I was installing it. So, you know, I wanted to see, I'd maybe, you know, talk about it a bit with them. I posted the picture and not 10 seconds later, no, a message of no, all caps, with about 18 exclamations after it was the first message. The second message from the other person that I was, I was thinking they may have an opinion on it was, dude, you're not going to enjoy it. You're really, really not going to enjoy it. And to an extent, playing through it, I didn't enjoy it. The first couple hours of the game were rough. Particularly as someone who played the first Last of Us game, and this is going to sound really weird and kind of metaphysical, but I kind of connected with the character of Joel a little bit. No, it's, it's understandable. Uh, you know, you're I, supposed uh, to connect with art in a way. Yeah, because cause I'm, a, I'm a murderer. I destroy hospitals full of people. Uh, gotta do what you gotta the, do, man. Gotta do, gotta do. Gotta these, COVID times, these COVID times keep pushing us, man. We keep yeah, gotta just, do what you gotta you, do. You just murder a, 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 a hospital full of, uh, you know, people just trying to survive, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is going in a weird direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because before now, it was entirely normal. <laughs> it was just... 100% Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, Western conversations. Now we're just going weird. Uh, but yeah, the first game, I, I connected with the character of Joe because he was he was kind of like me. I'll, if I'm working with you, I'll get the job done. But at the same time, you, I'm not going to let you know a shit ton about me. I, I, I keep my cards close to the chest. You, arms, I keep everyone at an arm's length, and that's what Joel did in the first game. So I kinda, that, that was my way into the game. And uh, the game itself kind of opened itself up because you're fighting uh, infected. You learn a bit more about the world. The world itself is it's working its way through this infection, and Joel's kind of working himself through this trauma of the start of the Last of Us Part One. Uh, Joel, his his town uh, gets hit with a horde of infected. You try and escape the the horde, and your uh, daughter gets shot. And that that has a heavy effect on Joel. So the whole part of the first game is Joel opening up and learning to learning to know, love again. Learning to love again, yeah. So the second part was all about Ellie finding out that at the end of the first game, <clears throat> Joel, Joel committed a war crime. <laughs> yeah, Joel pretty much led to the gen led to the greater infection of the rest of the the world after the initial outbreak, because you find out in the first game, and it also plays a heavy part in the second, oh, not a heavy part, but a little part in the second game, that uh, Ellie is immune to the infection. She cannot be, no matter how many times she gets bit, she's completely immune to the infection. So, in the first game, Joel's story was to get Ellie from the starting point, which I can't remember where it was, to the end point, which is either Washington or Boston. I cannot fucking remember. It's Washington, because if it was Boston, you'd remember. You'd be like, oh my god, I don't want to be in Far Harbor. Fuck off. All right. I think she, I think you started the game in Boston, and you have to make your way to Washington. and uh, So you can hand her over at the hospital, and they can figure out what's causing her immunity to this infection. But then by the time you get there, Joel realizes that all right, you're going to have to dig the infection. You're going to have to dig the immunity out of her by ripping it out of her central nervous system or some shit, or finding out what part of her body gives her this immunity. So you're basically going to just cut her into pieces. So Joel, having already lost a daughter, doesn't want to lose a surrogate daughter, and 
butchers the entirety of the the hospital. Ellie finds out about that and just like, you're a dick. You could have saved humanity, but no, you saved me. What the fuck is wrong with you? So there's a kind of splintered relationship between Joel and Ellie that sets up part of the the first, second game. First note, but, Ellie, be a bit more grateful. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, I your life, fuck. The man put effort in to kill an entire hospital. Do you know how many rooms are in a hospital? Do you know how much effort that man put in to saving your life? Ungrateful bitch. Hospital, you ungrateful bitch. You had to for killing all those soldiers and doctors and nurses. And you know he had to go through the chemo ward. Those people were sick. (laughs) He had to get rid of a whole slew of people. So, but in doing so, Joel unknowingly kills the father of new main character Abby who plays she plays a role in the second game but it's a role that could be cut out completely and you'd still get a Last of Us experience right. if you know what I mean she's in there Laura Bailey knocks it out of the park playing that character but that character is boring as shit <laughs> that's, a, that's a strange one because Laura Bailey does interesting characters and it's a shame that she'd be stuck to a character you would describe as boring no not just boring boring as fuck I uh there, there was a lot of silent and observant because she just kind of uh, she doesn't talk much she just watches and she'll chime in every now and again she switches from silent and observant to ultra violent like and the, the amount of time it takes you to click your fingers I was going to click my fingers but you're not going to hear it on fucking microphone but <laughs> time it takes you to click your fingers that's how quickly she flips actually based on my experience of microphones especially the blue yeti that you've got you will hear it it will just pierce everyone's eardrums so I'm glad you didn't yeah. do it I mean, I only have one one working year right now, so it's not going to fucking bother me that much. <laughs> I won't be a dick. Uh, so, The Last of Us Part 2 is split between the Ellie story and the Abby story. The Ellie story is Ellie trying to kill Abby for what Abby did at the start of the game, which is spoilers. Uh, and I will preface this now, there's going to be heavy spoilers throughout this discussion. Unfortunately, I'm not that good a writer to, to figure out how to do this without spoiling the shit out of it, so I and apologize. We're talking about a narrative game here. You really can't talk about the game without talking about the narrative, yeah. so... So, at the start of the game, uh, you meet up with Abby as she is in Jackson in Wyoming. Sounds and about right, yeah, why not? She's with a group called the Washington Liberation Front. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, she's she's with a group called the Washington Liberation Front, but she's taking a small eight-man team to go to Jackson and find Joel and kill him for what you think, for what you're led to believe through conversation with Abby and other characters, that Joel knocked up one of Abby's friends because you hear her muttering to herself, "It's like we need to get this guy. He he has to pay for what he's done." There's a little pause, and she says, "He had to have done it. He had to have knocked her up. He had to have gotten her pregnant." And at that point. I wanted to turn the disc off. I wanted to turn the PlayStation <laughs> off. I'm like, I cannot play a game with this dumb a reason for wanting to kill a man. Like, shit happens, okay? Shit. The condom breaks. Deal with it. Yeah, I mean, it's. it wasn't for the fact that if this was a non-zombie apocalypse outbreak type scenario, sure, by all means, beat the living shit out of the guy that knocks up your missus. But if there's you're... literally a plague going on in the background. There's people getting eaten and munched and turned into those weird cordyceps clicker motherfuckers. Yeah, you you sure you go and you know 
try and kill this one dude who's thousands of miles away because you think he did something. Yeah, deadbeat dads are not the priority right now. Yeah, like trying to you know, cure the population is. But uh, so she catches up to Joel. And the bit that makes the death all the worse is that Joel and his brother Tommy find Abby out in the wilderness because no one wants to follow Abby through a blizzard to try and find this one dude. So Abby goes off on her own. Uh, Joel and Tommy find her and they fight tooth and fucking nail to get her to safety. He he hands her ammunition, he defends her while she's trying to set something up. Just so, And then the minute they get back to the lodge where... Uh, Abby's other friends, the other Washington Liberation Front, or uh, Wolves as the game calls them, the other Wolves are there and uh, Joel introduced himself and so does Tommy and it's like, oh you've heard of me before and at that point Abby shoots him in the kneecap and then beats his head in with a golf club damn, okay it's uh, fucking brutal and uh, all the while Ellie is pinned to the ground being made to watch it and that sets the events in motion where Ellie essentially goes scorched fucking earth on the Washington Liberation Front and just storms her way through Seattle to try and find Abby, killing anything and everything that gets in her way. Now that's interesting because that's roughly the summary that I've heard from a bunch of uh, gaming podcasts that have been talking about this. I'm not going to play this game. I'm not interested in The Last of Us as a franchise. I'll get rent it eventually, but even then, I'm willing to consume media after spoilers. And... Yep. A lot of people that I've I mean, been listening to... It's probably going to get an update on PS5, so... No offence, Colin, I can't really see you picking this one up. <laughs> oh, come on, man. I'll spend the, like, $700 and then the 70 quid per game required for PS5 games, and I'll pick up both remasters of both yeah. games. Um, yeah, you'll pick up a PS5 remaster of a PS3 game. <laughs> I, I wonder if that'll happen. Uh, anyway, like every, everyone I've been, uh, like, talking to about this has said that it is very strange to have a game that so centers around the trauma around witnessing violence and then having a character who is so remorselessly dishing out the same type of violence that they witnessed that traumatized them. Yeah. And there's a lot of these kind of they do some parts of the some parts of the game are done really well. Like uh, Abby's inter sorry not Abby, Ellie's interactions with a character called Dina helped it humanize her a little bit. Because Dina's, Dina's Ellie's girlfriend and you find out by playing the game that Dina's pregnant so Ellie can realise shit, she's the priority here. Right. I need to stop this and we need to go home. <laughs> like, yeah. We need to, can, I need to stop this rampage. My and rampage need to, needs to like take priority. <laughs> like It needs to be put on the back burner, sorry, while we, the baby takes priority. Yeah. She stops it then but then when you finish the game and you're back to playing as uh, your you have your encounter with Abby at the very end of Ellie's story, or the very because you play as Ellie, then Abby, then Ellie again. After that, it's, it jumps a bit of it. It gets quite annoying, but after you have your final fight with uh, Ellie at the end of Abby's story, Abby lets Ellie live. Ellie goes back to Jackson, and uh, Dina has the baby. They all have this kind of idyllic life on a farm. I might add, the baby's happy and healthy. And at that point, Tommy bursts into the room and says, I found her. We need to go after this bitch. This bitch killed my brother. Then Ellie just kind of forgets. ask, as a quick aside, who the fuck is Tommy? Uh, Tommy is Joel's brother. Okay, right. Got you. So naturally, Tommy like, wants to get the gets to get the chick that killed his brother. Yeah. Naturally. And then, because at the end of uh, 
Abby's story when Abby finally confronts Ellie for killing her friends. Because th- through Ellie's rampage through Seattle, so apologies for jumping about a bit here, but it's kind of how I've got it in my head. You, but, you're, uh, you're on par with the game at this point, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, when Ellie is trying to figure out where Abby is so she can, you know, finally enact her revenge, she happens, she gets to an aquarium in Seattle and she finds a character called Owen and a character called Mel, who are Abby's two, or a couple of Abby's really good friends. Uh, Ellie fucking shoots the shit out of Owen and stabs Mel, who is pregnant at the time, making it doubly fucked up. Right. So, at that point, Ellie realised, I just killed the pregnant woman. What if she does that to Dino? I'm getting the fuck out of you. Right. Abby finds this, storms back to the cinema, the theatre that they're hunkering down in, and just starts fucking, you know, destroying people. She shoots one character in the head and she starts, you know, unloading bullets on Tommy. Tommy gets shot in the kneecap or something and he gets one of his eyes, you know, burst. So, back, flashing back to the end of the game, Tommy has a limp and he's got one working eye. He's like, I can't do this. Ellie, you need to go and finish this for me. And Ellie, after, you know, maybe exercising the demons, putting it to bed, she goes, yeah, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> I thought, I was like, you almost, re- like, you almost come to terms with your own uh, violence and need to seek revenge and then one guy comes up and is like, you got to do it. I can't. I'm a cripple. And you're like, I guess I'm helping a crippled person. <laughs> but, like she tries to justify it by saying, I don't sleep. Whenever I go, whenever I close my eyes, I just see Joel's face. And like, you got your ass kicked by Abby. Abby said, don't fucking show up again. You were going to leave Seattle because you thought I can't get my friends involved in this. Because Tommy says you need to end this, you're gonna go and go scorch earth on that again. You're gonna just open that entire can of whoopass all the way back open again. Yeah, because yeah. one you guy's go- like, ah, "Come on, come on, come on." Joe was a good guy. You can go and kill this bitch. <laughs> remember Joe? I remember Joe. Joe was nice. Joe was my brother, man. He was a good guy. <laughs> Joe taught you how to play guitar. I swear to fuck, right? I just remember something: the fucking guitar sections. Right. There's points in the game where you can pick up an acoustic guitar and using the PlayStation 4 sort of touchpad and the one of the thumbsticks, you can move it to pick chords and strum the guitar. You have to do that four times throughout the game. You have to sit and play songs on the guitar. How much of that do you think is based on the fact that the first trailer, the kind of teaser trailer of Last of Us 2 was a guitar intro? I think it was Johnny Cash's Heart. It might yeah. have been Johnny Cash. By uh, Ashley Johnson. Yes. Who's the voice of Ellie, for those who don't know. But yeah, they, they did that as the kind of teaser, and it was the biggest thing that anyone's ever seen, and it was the greatest thing ever, and it was it was such a hype moment. I wonder how much of that was, well, we did hype the shit out of the guitar playing, I guess we should have it be a thing that happens multiple times, or do you think it is a legitimate attempt to connect uh, uh, Ellie with Joel? through the medium of, like, the fact that uh, he taught her guitar. I think it is a good... I think it, it was an attempt to have a good way to connect the characters of Ellie and Joel, because once Joel says to Ellie, the reason why we took you to that Firefly hospital was so that you could be dissected and so they could find a cure, obviously Ellie takes that the wrong way. And all the way through it, Joel 
still tries to you know be the good guy. He starts playing her songs on the guitar, and he, and even before that, he starts saying, "I'll teach you the guitar." And through it, there's always this theme of you know Joel being the teacher, and you know teaching her how to play guitar, teaching her how to shoot, teaching her how to you know use a knife and shit like that. So it's all to have this kind of callback to Joel, almost. Yeah. But I just found it unnecessary and quite frankly annoying, because. At one point, you're in the middle of a chase. You, you know, quickly dispatch the people who you're fighting. You run back to the theater, uh, hunker down, and your first reaction, or my first thought, would be right: be quiet, hunker down, kill anything that might make a noise, shut off all the lights, and just lay low. The yeah. first thing you do is you go and check on Dina. You put your bag down. You start playing the guitar. <laughs> it's tactical, bro. It's a tactical acoustic guitar. That's <laughs> <laughs> what it is. <laughs> So it's uh, it seems like one of the things where, with this being such a cinematic game, so heavily based on characters and drama and dialogue, that they've tried to write a narrative in a certain way, and it, although it works, apparently the core fundamental gameplay is phenomenal. Uh, it's a bit disjointed. Yeah, it it jumps up a bit too much, and it expects you it t- the way it tells its story. Is naturally kind of jumpy because you'll play a bit as Ellie in the present time, then it'll flash back to a mission with Ellie and Joel where you're in a museum checking out all the exhibits and you know messing around with dinosaur bones and shit like that, trying on astronaut helmets and sitting in the, the pod thing. Uh, then it'll flash forward to a bit where you're playing as Ellie again in the future or in the present. Then when you're playing as Abby, it'll be, you know, you going through Seattle trying to help out or do Abby's side of the story. Then it'll flash back to young Abby with her dad in the hospital at Washington. And just like these flashback things don't help or don't help me at all. Like, give me more of present day characters instead of this flashback shit. One thing that I thought was interesting was uh, you talked to me about your playtime now. I've seen some people say that the, the one I was listening to was uh, Let's Fight a Boss, and that was uh, Neve saying that she was 10 hours in, and that was reasonably foreign. She said, she's like, I think I'm about a third. So I'm estimating playtime was 30 hours. When you said your playtime, a good like you were pushing yourself, was 23 hours, or was I right in saying that? Yeah, uh, I. Oh, pardon me. I pushed it at twenty three, it might be twenty four hours, but at certain points, particularly when I was playing as Abby, because at that point I was fucking done. Abby's story felt Abby's story felt like it should have been in the forefront mm-hmm. of the game where it started off being like this is the main character. We're not gonna have you play as Joel and Ellie because we're gonna have Abby be another or tell another story in the same universe. But instead Abby, who is a wolf, she's of the Washington Liberation Front. She's in Seattle, and uh, the group that her group is fighting against is called the Seraphites. Right. The, uh, basically, this kind of Amish holy order who have renounced old world technology. I think the furthest they go into new world technology is pistols and shotguns. Most of the time, you see them using uh, bows a bow and arrow, and they don't have communication systems they have. They communicate through high-pitched whistles. And smoke signals and yada yada. Yeah, the very old world, very uh, new Old Testament. And uh, throughout the game, uh, whenever Abby's talking to any of the other wolves or any other people that are in the WLF, uh, 
the words fucking scars come up because the seraphite or the seraphites their nicknames are the scars because they'll have a sort of the glasgow the glasgow smile the glasgow kiss not the glasgow kiss like the glasgow smile where they've got the the, uh, cuts from the sides of their lips going up to their ear yeah if you're not aware of glasgow smile is think the joker from uh, heath ledger's performance in the dark knight yeah pretty much exactly they've got the kind of cuts in the side of their cheeks so through abby's interactions with some of the other wlf members it's just ah uh, we need to go out here and get these fucking scars these fucking scars are burning us up and uh, abby is known as one of the best soldiers in the wlf and she's like oh if you if there's any fighting to be done abby's going to be on the front line shooting those fucking scars you know fuck those scars and through in the game she's trying to go and talk to owen because Owen apparently committed some treason against the WLF. She's been tasked to go and find them, but through that, she gets captured by the Scars. Uh, like Basically hung to die, and she gets saved by two Seraphites. Right. I think and I've seen this as like a teaser trailer. Hmm? I think I may have seen this part as a... Maybe not like a, maybe like a kind of demo trailer. Is maybe. That were like a, a, a girl with a bow and a kid cut her down and yeah. it's just like a wave is coming a wave of the the, the zombies the infected are coming immediately at the darkness and they're like fuck it, it third body they'll help it wasn't a, a wave of zombies it's a wave of the seraphites the scars because oh. these two are defects are defectors right okay of the seraphite order so they cut abby down and abby's just like oh wait you you guys are scars i know what you fuck it we're good like, I've killed so many of you people, but we're good. You cut me down from a noose. I'm not going to kill you. And there's, like, it keeps going on. And even even though the characters in the game call her out for just that, like, you've killed so many of these scars. Why have two children saved you? Uh, changed your mind? Huh? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's a really weird one. But I mean, I guess if you're trying to write a thirty-hour narrative, you really have to just wind through every single like possible option. If that makes sense. You yeah, have to you go through every, through yeah, every possible character interaction has to be written down and just kind of run through and tried to see if it works and it's part of the most interesting part of the game. I, I wonder if would you like to like as as a fa- as somebody who played it, would you like to see a kind of director's cut like a re- not like a retelling, but like if they took away some stuff, do you think like an edit would help? Does that make sense? Uh, See, before I think the version that has been released is probably the best version that they could have made. If that if that makes any sense, I don't think a director's cut would make any any difference because I think the director's cut would just include more interactions with Ellie and Abby with other characters who would either confirm or damn their point of view. Well, maybe not like a, a director's cut, which we always assume means take, like add more. But would you maybe take away some stuff? Do you think it would help, like yeah, to trim it down a bit? Uh, Abby's story. <laughs> okay, just delete the entire. Just co- highlight, copy, paste, delete. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds fucking harsh, but uh, Abby was a fairly boring character. Oh, okay, which is weird because she's such a, a core part of the game, is from what I'm hearing. Yeah, it just th- there's some points where uh, when Abby gets back to the aquarium after Ellie has broken in looking for Abby and has killed uh, Owen and Mel, they try and humanise Abby a bit too much because she drops to her knees and just goes, no, this kid, like, 
she doesn't she doesn't say much but he kind of has this look on his face like no this can't be like why what did I do to deserve this and I'm like bitch you stormed Jackson and killed you did the same thing at her you must have expected this to happen to you yeah you couldn't have, you honestly couldn't have expected this to be the end you just mind you got called out for it <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm pretty sure I even said I think I was playing it in my room my brother was probably there and I'm pretty sure I even said out loud, fuck's sake, what's the point? <laughs> See, it's weird that like you've been talking about this, but the only two things I can think of as far as questions about this game is, one, what would an aquarium look like about 15, 20 years after a disaster? Like, is it... exactly Just with more fungus. Yeah, but like, like real life within an aquarium, like if I just, like there's a deep sea world here in uh, Scotland, just not far away from us, and it was the... the uh, source of many a classroom trip for us growing up because it could be reached by bus in under an hour and i wonder yeah, if free tickets to classes if we just shut that down what would happen like if nothing was there like i was like we cover the lockdown stuff there'll be people going in to feed it uh feed the the organ feed the the animals and stuff that are there but if you just kind of left that and you know animal nature kicks in what's left do they it- much considering there's a few sharks yeah but like do the sharks know to only kill enough to eat and then sustain themselves do feed uh, do fish reproduce fast enough to like sustain population i'm just i just part of me just running that as like you know hmm, what if um and the second thing was you talk about the amish being part of like a like a major force in the, the northwest uh, in this game and i'm like you know what if i had to restart civilization i would definitely use the amish because they have a lot of core, like, fundamental skills that most people just don't have because they don't yeah. use modern technology. And I was like, shit, that's a good one. <laughs> the Amish yeah. would do really well in the post-apocalypse. But obviously, they don't call them Amish. They're a bit more zealous than the Amish. Because uh, the two characters that you're talking about, that, that I was talking about that help uh, Abby, yeah. they are called Lev and Yara. And Lev is the transgender character. Right. And she's part of the religious order of the Saraphates, and she's seen as um, impure and unclean, and she was set to be married off to one of the other elders at some point. Mm. But then she chose to live her life as a boy and shave her head, which was banned and frowned upon. Very because naughty. she's not a soldier, she's not one of the men. <laughs> then she you know, fled the order. Then bad shit just ensued. Yeah. Although I do like the idea of there being a more hardcore version of Amish. Like, you literally give up every modern convenience to be Amish, and then you say, there's another layer. <laughs> Which I guess might just be you keep going with that silly tradition after the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. You look at a world gone to actual shit and you say, you know what, still going to stick with the rule book. <laughs> rules is rules, we wrote them down, it means something to me. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's weird. So like, when, you, when, you, when you finish with The Last of Us 2, mm. it, it seems like it must be played by people who've played the first one, just to kind of round out certain stories, does it wrap up significantly? Does it does it finish well? Uh, it kind of return of the king's you, because uh, I identified three endings. One being the actual ending, and two where it could have ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is where Abby gets to the theatre where Ellie and Dina and the other another character, Jesse, who's from uh, Jackson, where Ellie originally started her journey, they get they get into a fight 
and Abby says, you know, Abby wins the fight and says, you know, don't let me catch you or don't let me see your face again. But uh, that could end there. Ellie survived. Could just left it at that. I thought, because I said audibly when I got that part, I was like, okay, that's the end of the game. We're going to get back to Jackson and Ellie's going to be limping or licking her wounds and saying, right, I'm done with this revenge thing. You know, can't can't avenge Joel, but I'd be suicidal if I went up against her again. Yeah. Then it cuts to the second ending where I thought, all right, this is where it's going to end. Uh, with Ellie and Dina and the baby in the farmhouse just outside Jackson. I'm like, okay, she's happy. Like, maybe, maybe this this is this is the real ending where you have the growth, you have the change, you have uh, the the benefits of change being shown to the viewer. Yeah, she did the Japanese thing. She got the haircut, signifying a new a new journey in life. And I was like, okay, this is where the ending. Uh, nope, that's where Tommy's stepping in with his one eye missing and his uh, limp. And oh, great, she's picking up the trail again. So this game's not over. Cue another hour and a half of content that I don't want to play through. Then the game actually ends with a, a pretty brutal fist fight between Ellie and Abby that I did not want to play through. It just felt fucking awful because uh, Abby is trying to catch up with a group that she used to be a part of called the Fireflies, which she heard her regrouping after Joel's massacre of them back at the hospital. So she's in a Santa Barbara trying to track down the Firefly remnants. And she finds a radio, starts radioing in saying, uh, this is... Abby from Santa Barbara looking for any remnant fireflies, blah, blah, blah. And she gets caught by a group called the Rattlers mm. who uh, basically just string her up on an almost crucifix and leave her there to wither and die. Ellie finds out about this through Tommy, basically leaves all that character growth behind to go and kill Abby. She fights through about another 40-odd dudes, gets to Abby, who is emaciated and skinny. She's lost all... She's had her hair all cut and shit. She cuts them down. <laughs> she cuts Abby down from her pillar, her crucifix thing. Helps her get onto a boat and says, you can't leave here alive. I can't leave here. Leave you here. Abby doesn't want to fight because she's been strung up for a few days, naturally. <laughs> she's basically halfway to dead. Yeah. Then Ellie points a knife at Lev, who was also strung up on one of the pillars, and says, you will fucking fight me or I'll kill him. And then this really really awful fight ensues because the two of them are beaten up and haggard and bloody and you're just thinking let let them go just yeah. let it go and end at that go come, and live your yeah. goddamn lives come this close to your vengeance and then realize it's not worth it you know learn a lesson walk away yeah. a bigger person yeah like listen to the chinese proverb man who seeks revenge must dig two graves yeah so what happens was as you could probably guess the fight happens and just as Ellie's about to kill Abby. She gets a little flash in her head of Joel playing the guitar. So Fuck she sake. takes her hands off Abby's throat and just says, get the fuck out of here. We're done. Go. I... And then gets into a boat and sails away. And then Ellie goes back to her farmhouse, finds that Dina has packed up everything and left. Understandably. With the exception of uh, Ellie's stuff, all her paintings and drawings and stuff that she kept in her room with a guitar. You play the guitar again to end the game. And then the game literally ends with Ellie walking out behind the house. And that is quite literally it. Ellie leaves. There's no 
last few words from Ellie saying, I'm going to find a doctor and I'm going to make this fucking cure. Or I'm going to hunt an abbey or I'm going to go find my girlfriend. There's no definitive ending to any of it. I was genuinely expecting Abby to, uh, sorry, Ellie to walk out of the, the farmhouse and just hear a gunshot or something like that. That would but be an interesting she, end. She just walks out. That's it. She just leaves. Hmm. Well, I guess that's how you know you're greenlit for another sequel. You can end it on... The way that this went down, I do not think there's going to be a Last of Us Part 3. But... DLC, maybe, but... I mean, if, based on media hype, and based on the fact that most people... There there was a very volatile reaction to this. The game itself, uh, not helped by the producer Neil Druckmann uh, basically going off at anyone who disagrees with him on Twitter, um, Hmm. seems to be... It kind of like the actual review tend to be more like yours, where I've seen a lot of people saying it's garbage or it's the greatest game ever. Most people are like it's okay, <laughs> you know. Most it's, like actual gamers. Is a it's not great. It's not not piss poor. It's just mediocre, almost. It's not fantastic. It's, it's a good waste of thirty hours if you're looking for something to play, but it's just kind of mediocre. It's not. It's neither great nor fantastic. It's a good five out of ten game. I think the, the, the big backlash comes from the fact that this uh, this follows on from one of the highest regarded PSD games of all time from a highly regarded studio who are consistent quality is they always improve. You know, like uh, last uh, Uncharted is the same yeah, studio. <laughs> like Uncharted 1, 2 and 3 continually get better and then you have The Last of Us which was seen as the capstone on this, uh, this entire thing. Especially when, like, The Last of Us was so good, apparently, that uh, when you know, Roger Ebert, the film critic, died, he had always had a beef with video games where he never understood the value of video game storytelling. So when The Last of Us came out, people wanted to really, uh, like, they, they wanted that to be a game that he played and experienced uh, to see the value as an example of video game storytelling because they believed that that would be the thing that won him over. But I don't think he ever actually played it before he died. I mean, it's not to say that the game, the game, play, the, the story's mediocre. I'd say the story's mediocre. Yeah. Gameplay, it's some of the best exa- It's probably the best example of a Naughty Dog game. Uh, you know, obviously there's still some little glitches here and there. With I found a weird jumping glitch where it would always, I'd look, it looked like I was going to land on a platform, but it would just take me a step back, so I'd hmm. fall off. That happened a couple of times. It was kind of annoying. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, gameplay-wise, it's fantastic. All the accessibility options, I think that's genuinely the way to go for the future of games. Like, uh, have it open to everybody. Have these accessibility options just available on every game that you make. But yeah, story-wise, it was just kind of mediocre. In the back of my head, I always just kind of thought, right, this is okay. I don't mind the story, but there's an infection. Zombie apocalypse. You want to try and be the, the people that, you know, stop the infection. <laughs> like... <laughs> There, are, a there is a bigger priority than your pet revenge, and I think as far as like a revenge story goes, you could tell the interesting story of someone who really wants revenge, but maybe doesn't quite have to work with, but has to kind of coexist with someone that they really, really should hate and should want to kill. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the infection just kind of carries on in the background. Yeah, so, I, that's a weird one. There's a point where you're playing as Abby, and you're going through an abandoned hospital 
to try and find supplies for the character Yara, because she gets her her elbow smashed by a hammer. Right. And, uh, she gets a uh, she gets something called compartment syndrome, which basically means that the arm's shattered and it needs to come off. So Abby has to go and find supplies like morphine, and saws, and uh, medical equipment to cut the arm off. Right. So she has to go floor by floor trying to find equipment. And the only place that she can go freely without arousing the suspicion of all the other WLF members is the basement, which was ground zero for the outbreak in Seattle. Right. So they see that area off. No one's allowed in or out. All that kind of shit. So uh, she gets to the basement and she fights through the usual horde of zombies. Uh, the horde of infected, they're not technically zombies. Uh, but then you find a, an enemy called the Rat King, which is just all these infected just kind of grouped together into one big massive ball of fungus and teeth and nastiness. And this thing's a beast. Is it infected people or is it infected rats? Infected people. Right, because like, the Rat King thing is a... Together. Yeah, the Rat King is an urban legend of just rats that live too close together, melding into one. Yeah, I, I actually, I thought the Rat King was when rats kind of stick together and their tails get intertwined and they can't pull it apart. Yeah, so I mean, it's like they're all they're like the most of it's by the tail, but like it's just rats living in such yeah. close conditions that they just kind of get stuck together. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what this thing is. It's just basically groups of infected that have just melded together into one big massive behemoth of a fucking thing. Oh, it's it's a really cool fight and it made me kind of think the infection should be more prevalent part of this deal with the infection <laughs> and yeah. if they do the last of us part three which i can't really see doing i think they might do dlc or might just leave it at that i can personally <laughs> hope they just leave it at, at, at the end of two but Wouldn't it be good if, if the DLC was just called Meanwhile, and it's just like a la- it's like a series of last stands of all the people that Ellie, <laughs> Ellie and Abby were supposed to help. All these people yeah. who were just like waiting on supplies and like last minute air raids and stuff like that, like last minute artillery strikes that those yeah. guys were supposed to sell for having their stupid fucking beef for like ten years. <laughs> yeah, they're just having a back and forth beef. But yeah, uh, just I wanted to see more about the infection and how the the cordyceps. Uh, virus spreads but no we're just i feel like that's a problem with, fucks. i feel like that's a problem with like zombie media in general is that the the whole thing i've talked about this a couple times on the podcast is that the the most terrifying thing about the zombie apocalypse is how people act not the zombies themselves but yeah. at the same time i would love to see a a breakdown on how you fight a zombie infection if there are 100,000 people left on the planet and they have to fight the remaining 7 billion zombies, how do you make that work? I'm always interested in that part of it, and no one ever gets there because they always get bogged down in the kind of minutiae minutia of human interaction. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Killing zombies for 400 pages of a comic book or an anime or a manga or whatever is boring, but at the same time, I want to see the bigger picture of fighting a zombie survival war. I think that'd be really interesting. Maybe that's yeah, just me. Cool, but sadly, I think it's a it's it's due in no small part to The Walking Dead that uh, we get these stories that could have really, really cool like science fiction horror elements to them that we get bogged down in these shitty little character moments, which you need. You do need some character moments, but yeah. why the fuck do I give a shit about you know, Rick... If he, he's not even on the show anymore, but Rick and his, you know, best friend 
having an affair with his wife while he was in a coma. Right, I get that that's big news if there isn't a zombie infection. Yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime, there is an actual zombie infection in this world. Why are you not dealing with that? Like, yeah, he yeah. fucked your wife. Get over it. He's a living person. It happened. We th- you were in a coma. <laughs> Honestly, who wouldn't take the shot? <laughs> yeah. There, there, there's, um, actually, just talking about The Walking Dead, I have been watching uh, Ozark, uh, the Netflix Jason I, Bateman you, you series. And one thing that always annoyed me during, like, season two and three was they always hinted that the uh, Rick's kid, Carl, would always go off and become this weird gun nut and become, like, basically a school shooter but in a zombie apocalypse. And they, they always handled it very badly. And I was like, Carl is just a little kid. He's he's not actually going to do anything. He's not actually becoming crazy. If you want to talk about a great, like, miniature-driven character arc, the kid in the first season of Ozark becomes a... Not quite gun nut, but he starts to learn and train... Uh, about guns and stuff like that, like to defend his family, d- due to the fact that they're being possibly hunted by the cartel, and the way they set it up is really good because in like episode end of episode one, they basically confess that the dad is running, or it might be start of episode two, they confess, yeah, your dad's running money for the cartel in Mexico, and the mm. kid goes and googles what the cartel is, what the cartel does, which is something a kid would do. And then he goes, oh my god, because he sees the reality of like cartels breaking into like uh, like rival cartel homes and murdering everyone. And he thinks that's what's going to happen to him. So he becomes obsessed with shotguns and rifles and learns to shoot and stuff like that. And I, I thought it was a much better arc than what they did with Carl. But you have to do it right. Like These kind of character interactions need a reason to happen, if that makes sense, in Zombie Apocalypse. Yeah, you kind of you need to do the world building. I agree with you. I agree with you on that one. Mm. But yeah, so actually, the other question I was going to ask was, um, you said that obviously it must be played by people who played uh, Last of Us One. Would you recommend someone with no experience of the franchise go through and play Last of Us One and Two? Uh, yeah, I definitely recommend that you play One because One's a, a pretty good game. Two's a good game as well, but the story, I think, is where it falls flat. Uh, I think one, at most, was a 16-hour game. Yeah. And every part of that, you're just thinking, right, this leads to the next part. This builds upon this. But in two, it kind of, it starts at A, goes to D, goes back to B, goes forward to Q, comes back to E, (laughs) then ends on Batman symbol. (laughs) It just jumps about a bit too much to be a cohesive story. And there's no real payoff for it. Because the payoff in the first one is uh, Joel saying, you know what, fuck you, Fireflies. Ellie gets to live. That's the payoff. The payoff in The Last of Us 2, well, what the non-payoff in The Last of Us 2 is, Ellie doesn't kill Abby. Ellie loses Dina. Ellie is now alone and directionless. Maybe that means she's the real Last of Us. She is quite literally the last person left. <laughs> She's the last person the camera sees. Yeah, and nah. to me there was no real payoff, but that's just one one view. You'll probably there are people out there that think this game's a masterpiece. They'll probably have be able to explain these little nuance or these little uh, nuances of the game better than I can. But from my knowledge, 
I expected more, and it didn't really deliver. Well, I'm glad you gave us an honest review of it because, I, as you say, like the the community feedback around this is so toxic, both one way and the other. Yeah. But the people that are saying it's so toxic are going by the leaks. I guarantee right. they're going by the leaks because they've seen Joel, who, for all intents and purposes, is a murderer. He kills so many people in the first game. We love him, job. but he does bad things. Yeah, and that's the whole point of The Last of Us. He's a good character, but he, he kind of murders people. He's a smuggler, and he kills people and tortures them. <laughs> no, one, no one's a good character in The Last of Us universe. There are no heroes. Mm. That's probably why HBO wants their hands on it. Uh, Although, a bit weird, I will say I saw that uh, uh, Troy Baker, the guy who voices uh, Joel, Mm-hmm. picked Josh Braun, said he'd be a great fit for it. I'm like, did you just pat yourself in the back that hard? That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in a bit of a weird space with Troy Baker's uh, you know, tweets and content right now, but that, that's a story for another time. Mm. I love his voice work, but the, the stuff, the YouTube videos and the tweets and stuff that he's putting out just now is so fucking pretentious, it annoys me. <laughs> I love the guy. Fantastic voice actor. His work on Retro Replay is awesome. I've met the guy twice. Fucking stand-up guy every time. But this this new path that he's on, on Twitter and on YouTube, I can't follow him down it, man. Well, speaking of pretentious annoying stories. Oh, I, I did want to say, I'm not, I'm not quite finished talking about uh, Last All right, of Us. Alright, go for it, yeah. Last of Us Part 2, it's a good game, but it does lead on to the game that I'm playing now and loving a thousand percent more, and that is God of War which I've only played about two hours of, and I have fought Draugr, like evil uh, zombie people. I've thrown axes at things. I have uh, told my child Atreus to shoot things. I've carried trees that are the, double the size of a human being. We should probably Christopher Judge just yells, boy. <laughs> it's the perfect palate cleanser to The Last of Us Part Two. While we're talking about this, we should probably uh, clarify that when we say God of War, we don't mean the original God of War, we mean the new segment of the franchise God of War, which happened on PS4. God of War 4, technically. The, the God of War. The Nordic one. one. <laughs> but it, it this can raise another question, another point that I really wanted to rant about, and that is that my PlayStation 4, despite having been cleaned out, sounds like it's about to take off again. That happened to my brother's PS4 as well. I have no idea what it is. Yep. Do you have the older model? Yeah, I had the older model, and when I first bought Monster Hunter World, fucking excited to play that, but uh, plugged uh, plugged it in, played it for about a good month, then all of a sudden it sounded like a jet engine, and so I cleaned it out, and it was still acting loud. I looked it up, and all the uh, advice just pretty much pointed to it might just be time to get a new PlayStation, so I did, and now the new PlayStation is doing the same thing. Huh, that's sort out PlayStation. Is that under warranty? Because I would fight. I noticed it was hard to do that right now, but I would get it back immediately. I bought it off someone two years ago. Uh, and shit. They bought it for. I don't think I got all the. I didn't buy it from a shop. I bought it off someone who bought it for their uh, nephew. And their nephew's like, I don't want it. First of all, that kid's a dick. <laughs> yeah. If I may. I don't know the. I don't know the person. I don't know the child. So. Yeah, could be. No, just off of the idea of not wanting a PS4. Um, just, you know, bought as a gift. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, I noticed that on my brother's one because we'd be in his room hanging out and all of a sudden you just hear this, like, jet turbine noise. And I said, there's nothing you can do to fix that. 
I mean, unless you're willing to go in and buy the fan that they use and replace the fan, and maybe it might work. But at a certain point, it the is just like loose fan. The, the official guidelines what they, uh, that they give you on the place on Sony is that you can crack it open. You will void your warranty for doing this, which is fucking dumb. Mm. You can crack it open and get a clean with compressed air, but that lasted maybe about a week when I did it on the new PlayStation. Right. And okay. I just don't think I don't want to have to give my PlayStation for a deep clean every time I want it to stop sounding like it's about to, you know, drop fucking bombs at a B fifty two. No, I so think... now if I want to play the PlayStation four for long settings, I have to put my desk fan in front of the PlayStation to cool it down. I was in the same situation as my ex with my Xbox and I just gave up and put it in the back corner. It's uh, it's in the other room. I don't play it anymore. It just it is uh, defunct and now I'm PC only. That actually was the thing that got me to switch over to PC only. Was knowing Oh, so you're officially no Xbox. Uh you haven't been no Xbox for a while now and it was just because I say like I had overheating issues. Um I had the I had everything well ventilated, everything was uh all right, it should have worked fine, but I actually opened it up and there wasn't that much dust build up in there. Like if it opened up and obviously the warranty's void now. Uh, but also, it's like a five or six year old console at that point, anyway. So who cares? You're on the the original Xbox One as well, aren't you? Yeah, um, and I was gonna get the um, the S model, which is the slimmer down version. It's the version they make once they've got all the tech sorted out, and they they basically make a version two of the original design. And then they announced I can't remember what it's called. The Xbox. It's such a stupid naming convention. Uh, Xbox. Yeah, Xbox One X or whatever it is. Um, oh, is that the 4K one you're talking about? Yeah, it's the answer to the PS4 Pro, which... Is... Yeah, that's the Xbox Series. No, that's the Xbox One X. Yeah, Xbox One X. And then once I was looking at that saying, eh, it's not really worth it because as soon as I was looking at that, they announced that the Project Scarlet was on the way, which was the next big major Xbox release, which is the one we're looking forward to at the end of the year, I think it is. I think we're at the end of the year for that. Yeah, I think PlayStation 5 is looking at November 9th, or the 19th of November. Uh, so I can imagine Xbox will probably be the 12th of November. Yeah, they'll probably try and get that out there just to get in the Christmas market. So when, when, yeah, once just, that started releasing, once that was kind of on the uh, on the horizon, I was like, just I wait. I don't know if I want one. Uh, that's the thing for me is that there's so much uh, cross compatibility between uh, Xbox and uh, PC nowadays I don't even really have that much reason to buy an Xbox but I can just go buy my Steam back catalogue and plug an Xbox controller into my PC because that was my main reason for using it was the the community which I get through the the Microsoft app and then the Elite controller which I can just plug into a PC and just kind of hope that the controller compatibility works you know yeah and with Game Pass P- having an Xbox plugged in all the time is not really a big priority. Yeah, might as well just have the PC there. I mean, I'll probably pick up X- uh, the Series X and PS5 when it comes out because why break a habit of a lifetime? <laughs> why, you know, keep money? <laughs> that sounds like something that belongs on junkies' tombstones. <laughs> yeah. Why break the habit of a lifetime when you can just be high as shit? Yeah. I just have all the consoles and no money. All the consoles, none the money, none the worries. Yeah, fuck it. I really want to play that uh, GTA Five and PS Five, baby. Someone... Fucking dumbest way to open a show. Here's a game that everyone has. <laughs> Someone pointed out that 
uh, GTA 5 versus Skyrim is getting kind of absurd. Like, the length of release time is... Like, they're almost neck and neck. Because of I wasn't Skyrim. even aware that was a thing. Like GTA 5 against Skyrim. Just just the sheer number of console releases for Skyrim and GTA 5. Like, they're, it's, it's more about the longevity than console releases because Skyrim has been ported to everything. Yeah, um, even the toasters. Someone has on a toaster. I guarantee you. Somewhere, some, someone somewhere has Skyrim playing on a toaster. But, Probably. Uh, they, like the, the, the actual GTA 5, uh, like Monopoly, like they have such a, such a good game. I love that game as it is. And then you throw in an online that's quite engaging. It's, it's kind of fucked now for me because I stepped back from it a while back. And then all of a sudden it's, um, I'm way behind the meta. So I'm, I'm fucked. You know, I haven't been keeping up to date with the content releases but it prints yep. money for 2K. Yeah. 2K? Uh, Rockstar? Rockstar 2K is the same company, really. Uh, really? They're, they're owned by the same parent company. I did not know that. Yeah, uh, which actually is funny because uh, 2K released their NBA uh, 2K21, which is next mm. year's uh, release, and they had the, the Kobe tribute for the, the Black Mamba, or the Mamba Forever uh, version. And that is, I think that's the, the maximum, like that's the maxed out version, that's the special edition, collector's edition. The artwork is oh. really good. Um, but the standard edition of NBA 2K21 uh, is going to run you $70 as opposed to the traditional 60 hmm. Which is interesting because I think they might be one of the first ones to break that line. And it doesn't surprise me because uh, 2K love a bit of cash. So yeah, yeah I uh, I'll be very interested to see what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, because two saying two K are in it for the money kind of makes sense, considering the fact that Borderlands Two is quite literally playable on everything now. You can get Borderlands Two on the Switch, Borderlands Two on PC, Xbox, PS3. Borderlands PS4. is good though. That's the problem is that although Borderlands Three, where is that game? Who's playing that right now? Uh, me. <laughs> right, because I'd be looking at. I was playing Borderlands 2, or it might be one or two that I was playing just to kind of get back into it for the release of Borderlands 3, and it came out, and then nothing. Literally yeah. nothing. I think the reason why you're not hearing much about uh, Borderlands 3 is because Last of Us came out, and no, the people like that would be playing Last of Us, uh, Borderlands are now playing Last of Us. This is yeah. like months before that, though. Like It's been out for several months, and we haven't heard anything about it. I think... Uh, other games came along and took the uh, the wind out of its sails. There was one Maybe. from a former developer of theirs. I I tried playing it for like twenty minutes. I could not stomach it. Um, but it was a very very similar game that I was just not interested in. Um, hmm. Other Worlds, I think it was. Um, hey, Outer Worlds. Outer Worlds. There it is. I tried playing that for fifty minutes. And just one thing about like uh, RPG development that I've noticed. RPGs tend to have this thing where uh, part of what you can improve over time is movement. And it, the way they do that is to have a really shitty movement system when you first start. Has that ever taken you out of a game? Because it, it did it with Outer Worlds, and I'm playing No Man's Sky, and I'm in the same boat of, I like this game, but the way I move, because I'm at such a low level, really pisses me off. Yeah, I can't really say I've played a game where the movement hampered my gameplay but uh 
off the top of my head, I'd probably have to say there was a game that came out for Switch, PS4 and Xbox One called Starlink Battle for Atlas. Right. And it, it hit Switch in a big way because of uh, Star Fox tie-in. And the movement in that game was very No Man's Sky-ish. Mm. And I expected at some point you'd be able to land, get out of the, the ship and wander around and you know gather minerals, fight some aliens, that kind of shit. Mm. But you don't leave the ship at all. You go oh. to space, you land on the planet, you just kind of go into skim mode, then traverse the planet. Because with, uh, I mean, this is something I pick up in survival games, is that if there's an RPG element, your movement to begin with is very bad. Like Seven Days to Die, uh, which actually just released Alpha 19, so I'll be dicking around with that for a little bit. I yeah. um, was playing that quite a lot, and I noticed that when you start, when your movement, you, you're just so slow, you've got no stamina bar, your jump's quite weak, um, just because, and I think it's just because when you're playing these games, it's an upgrade path. You can spend experience points to get a better jump, to have a bigger stamina bar, to move faster. You know, there's they hamper the initial player character so that there's a path of development later on, which is kind of okay mm-hmm. if you're Joe Bloggs who happened to survive in the zombie apocalypse and now on their own with like seven days to die. But then you have something like No Man's Sky, where I'm an astronaut. I am essentially entrusted with a spaceship capable of Mm. interdimensional travel. I would want to make sure that someone I gave a spaceship to could run more than 100 yards without losing their breath. Yeah. You know, that kind of, it draws me out of a game in a weird way. And I don't know when that became just the standard way of doing things, but... I got kind of really annoyed. I was sitting there playing it going, fuck this game. <laughs> like, genuinely fuck this game because I'm playing what should be an astronaut, uh, you know, an, an explorer, someone who's out in the, the rough voids of space, but someone who also can't run 50 yards without having to stop for their inhaler. That's not real. Does that make sense? Yeah. If it, if it hampers your realism, yeah. Yeah. Or hampers your immersion, I suppose. But uh, now that I think about it, the only game that really stopped me doing that was... Uh, this is going to sound dumb, but probably The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Because you had to upgrade your stamina through stamina wheels. And I kind of thought, you're meant to be this hardened battle soldier. Yeah. Uh, this hardened battle-ready soldier. Battle soldier, that made no fucking sense. <laughs> but uh, all of a sudden, you can't run more than 10, 20 feet without getting knackered. But yeah, I mean, nah. maybe it makes sense. I mean, maybe it makes sense in the the idea that your ultimate form is so ultimate it takes context of being really mediocre. But at the same time, like, I I feel like you should start a little further up the pole so that you can degrade down if needs be, but then continue to rise up to higher levels. You know, the idea that the legendary warrior can like never stop swinging. Uh, for like half an hour and keep going and keep fighting that makes sense but the idea that you know the basic guy on an adventure takes these swings of an axe like I don't know if you've got much experience swinging axes and hammers around the place but they're not that heavy (laughs) realistically I think everyone at some point has done or who's done sports training has had to do that dumb exercise where you hit the sledgehammer off the tyre and you have to you know control it and swing the head over them or swing it over your head again yeah but at the same time, you can oh, do I... more than three without draining your stamina bar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just always found that very annoying in gameplay design. 
I mean, for me, it's more what takes me out of a game is if the the combat is so boring and one dimensional that it's just it's literally just you do the same attack over and over again. <laughs> it's with games like Devil May Cry, you'll hit a square three times and you'll do a cool three hit combo, and it looks different every with each hit. I remember playing ga- uh, games on the Wii, and it's literally you do the same attack, you do down, up, down, up. Down up. This game's just boring as shit. I don't want to play a game with this boring a combat system. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, I want to talk about tiptoes for a bit because uh, I we talked about this before and I warned you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this was going to be a bad movie. The only thing is, I was expecting so bad it's good quality, and it's just so bad. bad. Yeah, I just I was really in a way I was disappointed at the lack of the fact of it being completely trash. I was hoping it'd be just a nightmare to watch, but mm. it's just bad in a very pedestrian way. And uh, it's, I mean, I saw this. I uh, I watched the Your Movie Sucks on it, which is uh, like a YouTube channel that does a lot of really good, very snarky video reviews. I was like, this seems like a trash fire. Let me grab it. Uh, DVD was like two quid, so why not? Uh, and then, like, I start looking into this movie, and it seems like it's going to be her- hilariously bad. And like, this is the type of thing I'm looking for the for the uh, the movie nights because it just it has bad reviews. It has weird, like, very uh, targeted commentary about it. And then, like, it, it's just I'm just annoyed by the entire thing. Uh, like, the cast is Gary Oldman and Matthew McConaughey. Uh, they are both Oscar-winning actors for being the lead actor in movies, and they win their Oscars within ten years of making the movie. And you know, there's Kate Beckinsale, always a fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> she, she's there. She's trying. Uh, she's trying. God love her. <laughs> like part of the part of the issue with the film is like the casting, which is weird because it's such a like star-studded cast. You got Peter Dinklage. But for some reason, he's acting French and screaming, uh, screaming about Marxism. Uh, Kate Beckinsale seems really vacant for some reason. Like, she's just not mentally there. Uh, she's dead behind the eyes. <laughs> she's trying to pass herself off as, like, a caring mother to a child with a disability. And, like, she just it just doesn't work at all. And then, you know, Patricia Arquette. Why is she there at all? <laughs> Just get her the fuck out of the movie. You have a much better movie initially. Mm. Uh, and actually, talking about casting, uh, I was looking at the, the cast list on IMDb. One of the dwarfs in there, who is quite prominent, uh, is, a, is a woman called Bridget Powers, a.k.a. Bridget the Midget, the porn star. That Bridget? Yes. <laughs> and I just found out as well, when you Google her name... Uh, she is currently going through court proceedings or legal proceedings because she stabbed her boyfriend in the leg in 2019 after she found him in bed with another woman. <laughs> so there's a fun little thing you can Google if you're interested. <laughs> if you're bored. If you're like, I wonder who, which uh, which dwarf actress is in jail in Las Vegas right now. It's her. <laughs> it's Bridget the Midget. Um, but like... All the problems I actually have with the movie as a as a movie are because of the edit. I mean, the film was supposed to be like 150 minutes and Dinklage uh, called it beautiful. Like, he said he's seen that cut and he's like, this this means something. It's it's good. 
it's uh, it tells like truth about being a dwarf. And I can see like there's the tiny bits and pieces that if you had an extra sixty minutes for the film, it would work. Um, but the, the the producers of the film fired the director. And by the way, this is the last film he ever worked on. Like he's just well, gone, <laughs> and this was made in two thousand four. Uh, and then they just hired someone to re-edit it down to ninety minutes, so it could be like a rom-com about dwarfism. And uh, a rom-com about dwarfism. Yeah. And the so worst thing is, it's it's not a good rom-com. Like, there's no comedy in it at all. And the like the least uh, like there's nothing intentionally funny about it. Like, there's some lines back and forth, but there's nothing you'd say is witty or really funny. Other than, haha, it's funny that, you know, Bridget the Midget is having sex with a, uh, like, an Eastern European security guard. That's funny somehow, I guess. Um, and there's, like, large stretches of dialogue between uh, Kate Beckinsale and Matthew McConaughey are basically domestic arguments you would call the police for. Like, they're just yelling and screaming at each other because the kid won't shut up. And, like, McConaughey, when, like, the kid is born puts his fist through a wooden door in hospital and they just let them leave together as a family. Like, what? <laughs> none of this makes any sense. Like, none of this is funny. It's all very kind of worrying in a way. Like, there's just something about their relationship as a family that eventually Kate Beckinsale just leaves and leaves Matthew McConaughey alone in, Las in LA as a firefighter and he's just gonna have to deal with his issues around being part of the dwarf community uh, i was gonna hope you said she just left the movie <laughs> she <went> fuck, this <laughs> like, fuck this shit i'm out and just left in a trash can <laughs> it would it would make sense if someone just walked off mid-shot and they just had no one they didn't replace them they just kind of used the back of uh, like the stand-in's head to explain what was going on <laughs> and they just shoot her off screen or something like that like that would make a lot more sense than the rest of the movie but she just kind of leaves him. Uh, she leaves Matthew McConaughey after he yells the phrase, I'm a dwarf, which is hilarious. It's like, no, you're an Adonis. <laughs> you're about as good as the male body gets. What are you fucking talking about? And she just kind of leaves him for uh, his brother. Like, there's, there's nothing fun or funny about this film except Gary Oldman. Because if you watch the trailer for it... Gary Oldman to be the comic relief. He's not supposed to be. <laughs> because the trailer for this shows it as, like, oh, Kate Beckinsale, Matthew McConaughey, and Peter Dinklage uh, in the in the film uh, Tiptoes. <laughs> By the way, the phrase tiptoes is never involved. You never see any dwarves on their tiptoes trying to reach for something. It, the phrase tiptoes makes no sense as a, like, a title for this film. But the best part of it is watching Gary Oldman walking around the set of this movie on his knees, pretending he's a dwarf next to Peter Dinklage. Oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot you, you told me that. He's a midget. He, he plays a, a midget. <laughs> Fuck. People. What you told me. <laughs> like, we're talking about the fact, like, off, off mic, we're talking about the fact that there's a lot of old UK media that's getting, like, kind of uh, reassessed based on the current political climate. And it's being like censored or changed or just pulled. Um, when they get to this movie, <laughs> someone's gonna have a fucking seizure seeing Gary Oldman like hobble around on his knees. 
<laughs> because they do not like they green screen out him like the back of his legs so you can't tell it's just like his uh, like his calves like he's walking around on his knees all day but there is nothing they do to explain why his character is like that beyond the fact that he has some weird bone uh, growths and that things aren't as they should be for a normal dwarf body and like I, I've seen uh, one quote from someone who's involved in the film saying it's basically midget blackface. <laughs> like, whoa. It's a tough one to back up. It's, uh, it's interesting because the, the, the trailer for it is Gary Oldman in the role of a lifetime. <laughs> like, that's how they introduce him in the trailer for this fucking movie. And he's... He, he's trying like he's very he doesn't there's nothing that's funny in his character he's not doing anything as a joke but I, it's just weird to see what is quite obviously a full grown man walking around on his knees because they don't do anything to address the fact that he has full sized arms they're like you just can't help but notice the fact that the only way they make his arms look normal and the fact that his hands are fucking massive compared to the rest of his body if you believe the illusion that he's a dwarf is that they just have him, like, take his elbow back a bit further, but you can see it in almost every shot. There's very little that's done to mask him. Like, you know the way they did, uh, like, for The Lord of the Rings, there was a lot of forced yeah, perspective forced shots. Perspective, yeah. yeah, they did a lot of that, but this is not that type of movie. Like, the guy who made this is not that good a director. <laughs> so it's just a lot of, like, at one point, uh, they have, um, like, the the family over for dinner. They have Kate Beckendale's family over with uh, Matthew McConaughey's old dwarf family over for dinner. And it is literally Gary Oldman. You just can't see him from, like, the neck down because he's behind a bar. Like, he's making drinks as a dwarf by just having his head above the bar. And they're like, hey, anyone need a top-up? That's it. <laughs> it's, it's one of the most hysterical things I've ever seen, and it wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> You're just laughing at Gary Oldman for some reason, and like as it, at some point during the making of that film, there's a blooper where Gary Oldman just stands up. <laughs> <laughs> he just stand, he stands up with shoes taped to his knees, <laughs> and just walks off set, being like, "Fuck it, I'll be in my trailer." <laughs> but like the like the cut, like the fact they've taken an hour worth of footage out of this makes so much sense. Like w when you watch the film. Uh, like that scene I'm talking about, when they have the family over for dinner, there is a build-up of tension that no one has, like for some reason, no one tells anyone that there are dwarves involved in the storyline. So Matthew McConaughey doesn't tell Kit Beckinsale that his family are dwarves. And she never tells her parents that the family are dwarves. For some reason, no one passes it. All you have to do is say, look... I got this guy, I'll really like him, I want you to come over and meet his family because I think he's getting serious, I want to marry him, and oh, by the way, you know, no one just has that kind <laughs> Just, you know, there'll be a lot of low ceilings, you know, any kind of hints, there's nothing about that at all, so there's a lot of people walking into rooms, seeing a room full of doors and be like, okay, like, I'm going to, like, it's the panicked face of someone pretending everything is normal. <laughs> there's a lot of that going on, and it's really fucking funny to watch people being like, okay, there's a room full of dwarves, and I'm totally okay with all of this. <laughs> it's just... At any point, do they start making short jokes like, hey, come on, man, that's low, you can't say that. <laughs> like, well, the short end of the stick is... <laughs> Dude, well, you're acting really small right now. 
You're so small. <laughs> Dumb hey, shit joke. Like anyone get change? I'm a little short, you know? There's no, <laughs> nothing like that. There's not a single thing in there as a joke that would make sense as a rom-com title. And the, there's one build-up tension at that dinner where the mother, Kate Beckinsale's mum is like, we need to address something right now. Um, we have an issue about this wedding and we, we, we're not sure how you're going to react to our statement about it. And you're like, oh my God, they're going to bring up the dwarf thing and it's going to be a fucking blowout and there's going to be an argument. No, it turns out that like uh, Kate Beckinsale's grandfather is Jewish, like old school Orthodox Jewish and wants them to have an Orthodox Jew wedding. That's it. But I miss this. Because the editing is so but like they're trying to rip every second they can out of the film to make it to that ninety minutes. I, I I they sat down for dinner. I got up to get a new drink. I went poured my drink, came back, sat down, and they just had a Jewish wedding. Like Matthew McConaughey steps on the glass, and I'm like, "How long was I gone?" <laughs> I I like rewind back through the film footage, and I'm like, "Something's not right here. I've missed something." No, they literally have the whole thing of like the dialogue about having a Jewish wedding to appease the grandfather. Them agreeing to it because they thought it was going to be the dwarf thing coming up as an issue. Then just a straight hard cut from them having dinner to seven months in the future when they're just having the wedding in a field somewhere. He stamps on the, the glass, Mazeltov, everyone just has a fucking party because wedding. And then they all get into cars. I'd missed all of that because all of that happens in about 30 seconds. It's just a weirdly, like, they've just ripped every second they can out of this movie. Hmm. <laughs> it's insane. It's clearly the, like, when they say the director had a, had a vision, he made his vision into a movie, and then someone else came on and went, nah, fuck it. And just started ripping pieces out of it. It makes a lot more sense. But so uh, I hope you don't send, uh, don't aren't offended by this. But I'm probably going to give it a miss. I'm not going to watch it. You've not made it sound good at all. It, it, that's the thing. Is like I'd love to say you got to see this. It's such a fucking shit show. But it's just bad. <laughs> it doesn't deal with anything in any nuanced way. It's just someone trying to force a movie out of what seems like three or four different ideas at the same time. It's a nightmare. I honestly, I was so disappointed about it because I've been talking about this to a number of people, both you, family and friends, and just being like, this may be the worst movie I ever watched, but in a way that was fun. And it was just a horrific disappointment. Like, this DVD is going to go around about three or four people uh, before it's available again, that I, that I know of anyway. And then it's just going to be a bunch of people being like, this was just disappointing. <laughs> I'm just going to have to fucking own it. You know? It's weird. I, I, I don't know how I feel. I feel let down, disappointed. That's the main reason I want to bring it on was say, I have seen Tiptoes now, finally, and I am just deeply disappointed. You know? Oh, well. Say this is a new film? This is what? This is a new film. 2020. Two, no, 2004. You could not make this now. Could you imagine <laughs> Gary Oldman does midget face, I guess. That's <laughs> what we're going to call it. <laughs> is, do we have the balls to make that the episode title? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Gary Oldman does midget face. That sounds... No. Nah, we're going to oh, leave that one off the list. Oh, mm, no. 
But I, uh, yeah, I just, this was 2004, it was an older time. I mean, it's there if you, there, I noticed consistency issues, <laughs> I noticed consistency issues with two main subjects. One, volume in liquor cups. There's, like, it's the hardest thing to manage between different shots, is that if there's visible fluid in someone's cup in movies, if if it's a well-made movie, it will stay consistent between different shots. If it's a bad movie, you'll see the level go up and down, randomly. Just look at people's cups if you can see the fluid inside. Water, wine, anything. Just because actors are doing so many takes, they're taking so many sips between takes, and just there's there's always like a change in the level. At one point, Dinklage's cup goes from uh, three quarters full to like one tenth full to two thirds full within the space of 30 seconds. I fucking lost it. <laughs> and then for some reason... I mean, the, the actors are probably just trying to keep themselves buzzed to get through this fucking movie. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially when again, Peter Dinklage, a great actor, a great actor, he happens to be a dwarf, is for some reason yelling in French at other dwarfs, like he's yelling in a French accent in a, at other dwarfs about uh, like the the fact that the only power available to people is the barrel of a gun, as in he wants dwarf revolution. I have no fucking words for that film. <laughs> it's, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. But the other thing I noticed inconsistency... Dwarf Revolution. Okay, I'm not even going to ask you to clarify that. Just move on. Just Dwarf please. Revolution. But the other thing I noticed uh, inconsistencies in is Kate Beckinsale's panties. <laughs> there is, for some reason, a scene where she has been painting, just kind of casually hanging out at her flat. And you can see, like, the bottom layer of her, uh, like, the trousers, and then she's got, like, underwear on. And you can see the underwear above the level of the trousers. She has a dialogue with Gary Oldman, where Gary Gary Oldman reveals that he's Matthew McConaughey's brother, and they talk about that for, like, 30 seconds. She then Uh, goes to visit Matthew McConaughey at a training seminar. It's sorted so that her her trousers are above the panties, then she comes back to have another dialogue with Gary Oldman, and you can see her panties again. Did she pull her pants up to go speak to her fiancé, and then kind of wore them back down again to speak to her brother-in-law to be, I guess. <laughs> I ha- it just I, I just have so many questions about the film itself, and I have no idea what to do. No one will answer these questions. <laughs> I don't think anyone has an answer for these questions. I don't think God has an answer anymore. <laughs> no, I don't think he does. So yeah, that was... Uh, I I had to, like... After walking away from that movie, I had to watch uh, Heavy Metal, uh, which we talked about a little bit. Um, heavy Metal's a bit nuts. It's a, it's a rule. Like, it is a trip in the most classical sense of the word. Uh, but I will say I actually enjoyed the South Park parody a lot more in the episode Major Boobage. <laughs> it is just the high points of heavy metal. Um, but like in a weird way, like there's a lot of uh, sex in heavy metal that's just weird and gratuitous. But when you see it through South Park, uh, the fact that it's, it's through Kenny's mind makes a lot more sense because Kenny's always been obsessed with tits. So the fact that everything is about like sexy ladies and tits makes more sense than the actual movie itself, which is a weird thing to say, but it, it's not wrong. I guarantee. 
But uh, I also watched Shin Godzilla that night, so that was interesting. Oh, Shin Godzilla is a fantastic movie. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal movie. I think we need to talk about that properly because I really enjoyed it as a film, but I don't know how to. Like, I want to watch it again with the dub because I've got the dub as well. Because mm-hmm. um, the dub is. I've only ever watched it with the dub, and it was fucking outstanding. The dub is Funimation, which is interesting. Because yes. it's actually available on Funimation streaming service. Um, so yeah, I have the D- the Blu-ray for it. So I have a, a spare disc that also features the dub, which is weird. But I, I've just never had that come as part of like a package before. Like that's never been an option for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like I've never had that before as like a spare DV or spare Blu-ray disc. But I'll be watching it because uh, like I always enjoy playing the Funimation game where you have different actors and stuff. You just try and pair all their roles to the current character they're playing. So, like, Chris Sabat being the military leader, I'm like, that makes sense. He's the guy in charge. Yeah, then you'll hear uh, Ian Sinclair be the one of the members of the task force. Oh, really? Oh, shit. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, what's his name? Todd Abercorn's in there as well. He plays the main character. Yeah, I saw that one as well. I was like, it's Todd. he's one of the few voices I immediately, like, it's Chris Sabat. And Todd Habercorn, I immediately just jumped straight to it. Like, oh, I know that guy. Uh, like, yeah. I, I know his, I know like his back catalogue of roles. So it's quite interesting. Mm. Um, but I also watched uh, Spotlight on Netflix, which is pretty good. I think you'd like it. Michael Keaton and uh, Mark Ruffalo. So Batman and the Hulk as nice. uh, Boston Globe reporters investigating pedophiles in the Catholic Church. Okay, that part you might not enjoy so much, but it's uh, it's very good. It's very like I heard it was Oscar uh, Oscar winning, and I'm like. How does that win an Oscar? And you get twenty minutes in, and I'm like, "Oh, there it is. I see. I see yeah. why now." It sounds like when you've got those two people in the same room, it's just going to be a powerhouse. Well, the acting's great, but like everything about like the camera work as well is just fantastic. Like everything you could direct about a movie is just top caliber in that film. It's very good. What's been in your uh, watch list recently? Eh. Uh... Fuck. Uh, I, uh, like I said at the start, I've been watching uh, Cowboy Bebop on Blu-ray, which is just uh, now one of those shows that if I'm ever looking for something to watch, I will just pop it in. Now, I don't really need to be in a specific mood to watch Cowboy Bebop. It's just one of those shows that I'll find something to like about it or find something that I want to see in it. Uh, but I finished watching uh, Batman the Animated Series and I think that that's the first time I've ever watched it from the start to the finish because the Batman the Animated Series started when I was barely on this earth. 1991 it started. Yeah. So Batman is... Uh, Kevin Conroy has been voicing Batman for as long as I've been alive almost. In fact, not almost, exactly. <laughs> that uh, is scary. Yeah, and still going strong, man. And still going strong. Well, how about we segue to our showstopper? As I tell you about the one Batman thing you've probably not watched. Tiptoes wasn't the showstopper? No, it gets so much worse, my friend. Oh, fuck. Let's do this. Right, grab a drink, people. It's time for the showstopper. Shit. I'll have a drink. Do you want to go make one? Nah, I'm good. Let's do it. Alright, okay, you may regret that. We're going to talk about Bat Pussy. Yes. It is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, So I was looking through the list of the worst films ever made because Tiptoes actually made that list as part of the 2000s entry 
But deep in the 1970s category, there is a film called Bat Pussy. Bat Pussy is an American pornographic film uh, believed to have been produced somewhere in the 1970s. I'll explain that in a minute. As a spoof of the Adam West Batman TV series. And it is cited as one of the worst pornographic films ever made to the point where it is one of the worst films ever made. I'm not joking, it is a Batman parody of the Bat- the Adam West series as a porn parody. I cannot... Uh, I, I've struggled to watch... Uh, like I, There are no clips of this that I could find. I could see some stills. You don't want to see the stills. Uh, but it was released in the 70s and forgotten about and then rediscovered in the storeroom of a Memphis, Tennessee adult movie theatre somewhere in the mid-90s and then issued to home film by uh, a film distributor called Something Weird Video, who specialised in exploitation and pornographic materials. Uh, the company at the time bought the entire box that uh, Bat Pussy was found in for about a grand, uh, considering the, <laughs> the tapes inside where there was like a couple hundred. So they just bought a box of porn for a grand and somehow found this monument to uh, <laughs> 60s era Batman. So this film is so bad, it has been dubbed The Room of Porn, as in Tommy Wiseau's The Room of Pornography. Hmm. Where, uh, so the, the issue with this is that no one actually knows the cast of this film. No one wants to admit to being involved in the production of this film. There is just no information about Bat Pussy that is not immediately available on the tapes themselves. Uh... <laughs> They have been, it was made at some point in the 70s. People don't even know where it was filmed because it's filmed in such a generic, like, middle of nowhere Americana, like, place that they can't actually track down anyone involved. Um, they That's have. Good. You them into the fucking ground. Yeah, it, it basically seems like this was made as, like, a cash grab. It didn't work, and then people just threw it to the side. Um, so, like, the. It's been criticised for just being a bad film, very low budget, which makes sense, it's a porn film. It's a porn parody in the 1970s, wasn't supposed to be like, you know, a blockbuster. Um, it apparently has just weird dialogue, but the best part is, part of the criticism of the film, of a porn film, is sexual ineptitude and physical unattractiveness of the lead actors. So, the main characters are Buddy, Sam... Mm-hmm. And Dora Dildo, the alter persona of Bat Pussy, aka basically Batwoman, but the porn parody. Uh, so Buddy, the man, because uh, mm. it takes some explaining, is reading an e- reading uh, a magazine, and decides to try oral sex on Sam, the girl in the relationship, and the two of them spend the remainder of the film having sex, alternating between uh, him going down on her. Her going down on him, fingering, and Buddy being flaccid the entire time. <laughs> Apparently, the porn actor just couldn't get it up, and they just kept rolling the footage in the hope it would eventually happen, despite the fact it never does. Throughout the scenes, uh, Buddy and Sam continue to insult and argue with each other over the sexual performance <laughs> during the scenes. Meanwhile, Batgirl gets a sense, like a kind of spidey sense, that someone is trying to make pornography without her being involved. 
So she decides to switch over to her uh, her bat pussy persona, the Batgirl persona, and race across town. Which she does, apparently by the way, this is set in Gotham, uh, but there's never any like city, it's all shot against like empty backlight or empty like back streets and stuff. There's never any at least have that level of authenticity in your parodies. At least film it in some reasonably big city and shoot it like in like weird shady alleyways. <laughs> have her have her run through the the street uh, the street where uh, Bruce Wayne gets sh- uh, his parents murdered. So she yeah, run through crime alley, see what happens. <laughs> so she senses that someone is trying to make porn without her being involved. Uh, so she runs across town, or I say runs. She goes to save the day. Hopping on a space hopper. As in the little, like, weird yoga ball thing with the handles on it. That children use. She races to save the pornographic day on a space hopper. <laughs> the Batmobile would have been too far. <laughs> the Batmobile would have cost money. Yeah. Apparently during the travels, like, on her way to uh, join the sex uh, that is happening in another room, apparently. She stops a mugging by beating a man with a space hopper. <laughs> uh, it's it's so hilarious. Like, you couldn't write this as a joke now. <laughs> the way that, like, the room of the disaster artist is written as a parody of the room. You couldn't hmm. make this uh, happen. The artist is written as a... It's not as a parody of the room. It's a book written by one of the guys who was in the room. Yeah, but then it gets turned into a parody movie. So No. Uh, the, the, it's not a parody movie, it's just basically a tell-all movie. <laughs> really? Because I, I read that like Franco and that made it as a comedy. Yeah, they made it as a comedy, but it's basically them telling the events of what happened in the book. For a comedic effect, yeah. Yeah, for a comedic effect. I wouldn't realize it's a parody. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Buddy and Sam are still going at it when Bat Pussy shows up. There's an argument, and immediately they just start having a threesome. <laughs> and then... Out of okay. nowhere, but like in the middle of like the threesome sex between uh, Pat, uh, Sam, sorry, Sam, Buddy, and Bat Pussy, Bat Pussy just decides to just leave, and at that point the film ends. Now that's because apparently there was a second copy, or there was a second set of film that was missing uh, from the initial like stuff that was found, and in twenty nineteen. Uh, they have located new footage that explains the mystery of the, the Bat Pussy saga. <laughs> Hopefully, including not, some credits. It's not a story that needs to be told, <laughs> let's, be, let's be honest. But yeah, it's it's like I've, I've went looking for like the criticisms of this and uh, everything is everything has basically been torn apart by this movie because it's so bad. It just, it, it made the rounds. Uh, so I say like it's a low budget porn parody Apparently, at one point, you can hear the director giving direction to the actors that are involved in the scenes. <laughs> and apparently, a crew member can be heard to audibly belch during one of the sex scenes. <laughs> so, mid scene, the director says, No, I'll do it this way. He gives him a line reading or he gives him a direction. <laughs> and they're like, Okay, boss, gonna get to it. He starts, hum- he starts shagging away, and all of a sudden, actually, I say shagging away, that's the wrong phrase. Because apparently, during technically during this entire film, uh, the guy never penetrates the woman throughout this because he's flaccid the entire time, so it's all just hand stuff. <laughs> so they never actually have that scene, 
But so during all this happening, they have the director saying, "No, no, no! Like, put your hand the other way." <laughs> and then in the background, you just hear some guy just belching away in the background. Fucking <laughs> hell! And apparently, during the last uh, scene of dialogue between all the characters, Buddy frequently refers to Bat Pussy as Batwoman before being corrected on camera by another actor in the scene. <laughs> Uh, so, I, I, like everything I could find about this film makes me kind of want to try and find it, but I also want to wait until the full version is remastered because they found. Try and find it just so it never sees a light of day. <laughs> just destroy it. They found the tape. They you know to be the showstopper because I genuinely can't think anymore. This has destroyed my mental capacity for yeah, tonight. This is definitely the showstopper, but like it's the idea. <laughs> the idea is that they put out the original film on DVD when the DVDs were quite sketchy. They found they had the original sixteen millimeter uh, like footage, so they went back and remastered it for Blu-ray, <laughs> and Fuck and now more sixteen millimeter footage has been made available somehow. Someone found the rest of a, t- a copy of this footage, so that we can now get the full uncut ending to Bat Pussy. Although, although Bat Pussy has uh, been trashed, it is the first recognized uh, porn parody. Of a pop culture like phenomenon like Batman, which means it is the first porn parody of a movie or a show, which means that you can know every great porn parody you've ever seen to Bat Pussy. Which, by the way, if you're not aware, you can still find porn parodies being made of the current DC movies. <laughs> and honestly, they're not much better than this. I mean, don't feel the need to go and check them out, though, people. <laughs> Oh, it's so Just horrific. Kind. Don't go looking for this weird, nasty shit. <laughs> or do. Who knows? <laughs> I, I I, don't know where I stand in this. I'm very tempted to go hunt this down because it's so... It sounds so horrific. It sounds so bad, it can't be good. Uh, one of the comments I saw was that it should be used for, like, abstinence-only uh, safe sex programs <laughs> because it makes sex so unappealing that no one would ever want to have it. No teenager is going to watch this and think, I really need to get laid right now. Yeah, I mean, people will just go, nope, if this what sex is like, I ain't doing it. <laughs> Can you imagine making a porn party and the criticism is this should be used for abstinence-only education? <laughs> that would be the meanest thing you could possibly say. What did you say there? I said, I bet the director's real happy about that. <laughs> if we can find them. This is this is why we need the full footage. We need to find the credits list. Because <laughs> you know I'm happy to let this one slide. <laughs> You're going to let this one slide. Yep. Uh, so we'll let it slide into the next episode. Uh, in the meantime, I've been Colin Graham. I've been Dom Anderson. And we've been talking gibberfish. Uh, stay safe out there, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Yeah, wear a mask, black lives matter. Simple, isn't it?